Greetings and welcome, all you commanders, eagles, and angels. This is Rainbird, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Tar and Rama's Hard News on Friday night on BBS Radio Station One. So we're grateful that you're joining us here. And I hear that calling drum as we're calling all of us together. Let's take a few gentle breaths. Breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth, slowly and gently, or whatever breathing protocol you like to use. You let go of that dross of the day. Let's go into our heart space. And in our heart space, we can gather with our guides, our guardians, our spirit teams, our angel teams, our totems, our ancestors, any of those ones you like to carry with that teeny drum with. And let us gather around this council fire. There's a council fire in the center, so we're going to just go wander around the council council fire in that virtual way we know how to do. So come in close. TJ, we lost Caroline. I mean, Rainbird. <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, a strong wind came up and blew that fire out on that council fire. So let's like that again with our hearts. <laughs> and come around this council fire in that virtual way we know how to do as we call in these seven galactic directions in the Mayan tradition. We welcome to the East, the house of light. May wisdom open in the dawn that is upon us so that we may see things clearly.
the house of eternal sun. May right action give us the harvest so that we might enjoy the fruit of the planetary being. We greet from above the house of paradise where the star people and the ancestors gather. May their blessings reach us now. Welcome from below the house of the earth. May the beating of the crystal planet's heart bless us with its harmony so that we might end war. We welcome from the central source of the galaxy, which is everywhere at once. May everything be recognized as the light of mutual love. Ayam, Lunaku, even Maya, even Ho. Ayam, Lunaku, even Maya, even Ho. Ayam, Lunaku, even Maya, even Ho. All hail the harmony. Mind and nature. The whole Matakoyasa and all my relations. In not Esh Alakin, you are another me. I am another you. And we are all one. So let's take a few moments. Stay wherever that drum beat took you. You take a few moments to look at the record of days in the Mayan tradition. <clears throat> and we're starting a new wave today. And that wave is the, <clears throat> the wave of the white magnetic wizard. It is a one each, the wizard. And we are the, in the year of the white overtone wizard. So we're revisiting that energy as we entered that year on July the 26th, 2023. And on July the 26th, 2019, we had this day, the White Magnetic Wizard, and we had the year of the White Magnetic Wizard. And we're coming full circle. We've, we're working with this timeline of the White Magnetic Wizard. And the guidance, the light shall be all, and the darkness shall fall. So uh, let's let's celebrate this return of the magnetic magic and wisdom as we work with the magnetic tone of unified purpose and attract and that wizard energy that enchants its timelessness and its receptivity. So we have this mantra: I unify in order to enchant, attracting receptivity. I feel the output of timelessness with the magnetic tone of purpose. I am guided by my own power doubled. So it's a, <clears throat> a double wizard day for sure. 
and we're guided by the white wizard. So we have that occult power we're working with is the blue hand, that healing hand. Our spiritual guide and our ally today is the red serpent, that transmutation. And our channel today is the yellow seed. We're challenged about that. To do that flowering. And so there you go. That's what energies we're working with today. We're setting our intentions for the next 13 days. The magician is chin number 14. And uh, so, yeah, we're setting our intentions for this way with this magic. And so the light shall be all and the darkness shall fall. So let's go with that and and then look at this, this each energy a little bit more. It's a visionary aspect and it's about the illumination for others and clarity of mind and purpose. <clears throat> so let's embrace these gifts of being that shaman, embracing that jaguar priestess energy, that jaguar medicine work with integrity in in accordance with divine will. And in this wave, it's our intention to seek seek true spirituality and um, seek the truth. So let's let go of anything, any issues around control or any personal power issues or any manipulation as we embrace these energies for this day and for this week, this wave, as we search the Zuzuya. We do that with the magician at the helm. So then, moving on to Saturday, we're working with magician energy with the, um, the blue lunar eagle. So it's the two men, that that lunar tone and that working with that polarity and the balance of the polarity. And the eagle is a visionary aspect. It sees that big vision. It sees from very high above the big picture and yet can discern the tiniest detail. So we work with our commitment to service. We move consciousness to source. And we reconnect with all creation in this way. So let's embrace these gifts of independence, a gift of our belief in ourselves. Let go of any feelings of despair or dissociation and that illusion of separateness as we embrace these energies on Saturday. And then moving on to Sunday, which is a long day because of the time, daylight saving time goes away and they do that by dropping back at the 2 o'clock hour on Sunday morning back to 1 o'clock again. So it makes it a 25-hour day. So I like to call it the longest day of the year, (laughs) as long as we're playing around with time in that way. Um, It's a long day, and maybe you all can get caught up. (laughs) So we're working with the warrior energy, the electric warrior, the yellow electric warrior, and that it is a warrior aspect, so we're trust in our journey, and we bring awareness of right action as we embrace the gifts of that communication with the divine and that access to cosmic consciousness. We let go of any limitation, any restriction, or any hesitation as we embrace these energies on Sunday. 
and adjust to the new time schedule, <laughs> which uh, probably works really good in the morning and gets kind of tiring in the afternoon. But however it affects you, uh, just, just celebrate that we get an extra hour. And then on Monday, it's a four Kaban, this red self-existing earth. And this Kaban energy is the earth and it's the a healing aspect. So we are keepers of the earth and we have that awareness of earth energy. That's our job. So let's embrace these gifts of this earth energy, that access to planetary harmony, being that balancing point, working with our intuition and let go of any separation or any failure to read the signs or any dissociation as we embrace these energies on Sunday. That three key, the <clears throat> oh no, it's that's Monday. Excuse me. That four kaban, the red self-existing earth. That self-existing tone is that strong tone. It's that structure, and within that structure, structure we can we can do our work. So let's embrace that. And then on Tuesday, we moving on. It's a five etch knob, the white overtone mirror. The etch knob is the mirror. So it's another warrior aspect as we work on our groundedness, our wise use of honesty, in our own self-understanding. We embrace these gifts. So being able to scry the unseen, that fluidity, that persistence of the mirror, and uh, that honesty. <laughs> so let's let go of any illusions of separateness, any fear, any abandonment or any illusions as we embrace these energies on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, it's a six-kawak, the blue rhythmic storm. The storm is a visionary aspect. So here we are creating transformation for others and we're lighting clear thought. So we can embrace these gifts of possibility of freedom and the power of catalyzing with that storm energy. So let's let go of any addiction to crisis, any despair, let go of fear, or any illusion of separateness. Uh, as we embrace these energies on Wednesday and then on Thursday, the seven of hell, the hell is the sun, it's the healing aspect. And it's about that rise to Christ consciousness and striving towards wholeness. And it's about transmitting energy to others. So the sun gives us the gifts of that possibility thinking, that unconditional love, and the God self, as we are, every one of us, connected to the God self. So let's let go of any limitation or any separation as we embrace these energies on Thursday and Friday when we come back. It'll be an eight image, the red galactic dragon. So we're in the, <clears throat> we just finished the wave of, as we began this new cycle, the hob, and uh, we revisit that dragon energy on the eighth day, eighth tone. Emish is an artist aspect, and it's about our work with uh, Emish, the dragon, is creation and self-dependence and trusting in the universe. And, And it's about clarity of mind. So let's embrace these gifts of being that source of creation and the, and the and the beginner's mind as we do this new beginning of the new cycle, the next <clears throat> the next union 
So we let go of any illusion of lack of support with this energy. And we'll talk about that some more as we gather again next week on Friday and talk about it some more. So now I'd like to change my hat as we are a listener-supported radio program. It's all of us that make it happen. And this takes a direct intention to make it happen. Um, That's how we get it done. So each and every one of us need to go into our heart space and see what is ours to give. We uh, we still owe funds for um, October, and we can probably pay for the second week of October, but we have bills that are due, and we have to just make sure that these bills get covered in a timely way, so we're holding on to that and um, intending that the funds come in for the bills. So let's talk about how we, we make our donations to BBS Radio. Go into your heart space, see what is yours to give, and then go to bbsradio.com. And what we're we going there for is to be able to link to our account with BBS Radio. We do that by finding our listing on the schedule on Radio Station 1, which is where we are tonight and on Thursday night, that's a night at the round table with the panel in this program, the hard news on Friday nights with Tara and Rama. These are on Radio Station 1, and you'll... As you go to bbsradio.com, you'll see the schedule listing. Click on Radio Station 1 schedule, and you'll see it listed at the 8 o'clock hour, and there's an icon there. And that's what you click on in order to access our account with BBS Radio, where you can use your bank card and make a donation in any amount. And at this point, do what you can to pay more or do what you can to invite more people to engage in this way or call in those people to respond in this way. Finding that listing and and uh, making that contribution and contributing to the to the cause of what we do here and the the benefits, all the many benefits that this uh format gives us. So we're grateful before for all the people at BBS Radio. We're grateful for their patience. And we're grateful for all of you for showing up that way and making those contributions. So thank you. Thank you for taking that action. We also have a program on Saturdays. It's called The True History of Nasser and Our Galactic Origins. And uh, it's listed at the 3.30 hour, and these are all central times. And as you click on the icon there, that'll take you to our account. As you are looking at this BBS Radio 2 schedule, you'll find it at the 3.30 hour. So there you go. Click on that icon and make that donation. And thank you for your generosity and paying a little extra and inviting a few more people <laughs> and, uh, and, and manifesting that more people can, can contribute in that way so that we can... We can meet our obligations here in a good way. We're grateful for all of you. We're grateful for all the ways that you show up in your lives. And thank you, thank you, thank you for taking that action. And paying it forward that way, may you receive many, many, many times that amount that you gift in return. And um, so, yeah, thank you. And we're also assisting Tara and Ronald with their needs. And they have an immediate need. 
that would be nice to, yeah, for tonight because they have the Verizon bill that's due tomorrow and it's $154.21. And also, Rama needs gas for his car and it'd be good to get $30 to cover that. So we're asking for $184 to come in tonight or tomorrow night in a good way. And, um, well, that bill's due tomorrow. So, yeah, it would be better if it came in tonight. So thank you for digging deep and going to your heart space. It takes several of us to do that, to to make that uh, commitment of $181.21. So let's see what is yours to give and then take that action as I just described how to do that that way and then how we do it to Tara and Rama you, you want to link to the Rainbow Roundtable PayPal account and we do that by going to the web address rainbowroundtable.net and there on the home page on the right hand side if you're on a computer you'll see the donate link at the top of the page on that bar and if you're on another device there's always that menu grid click on that it drops down and there's a long list I think 42 items and 41 Item number 41 is the donate link. Click on that, and that takes you to the Rainbow Roundtable PayPal account where you can make that donation in any amount using your bank card. And if you wish to make that donation go a little bit further, engage in the Friends option by making a direct payment to the email address there, that gift, as a gift. And so that's the Friends option. And uh, that email address that you need to put in for gifting is Coran, K-O-R-A-N, 9999949 at hotmail.com. I'll say it again, Coran9999 at hotmail.com. And that just eliminates the commercial chargers. And we are all friends and family here. So we're grateful for you taking that action. Either way is perfect. We're so grateful um, for all the ways that you show up, and thank you for, um, yeah, making the energy work with the the magic of of the of the money. So lots of gratitude. And so they also have other bills that are coming up this week, and that would be Windstream at one fifty two twenty eight, and the gas bill is seventeen fifty five. And I forgot what the internet bill is. Uh, I think it's something like 125. I'm not sure on that one. Um, but it's it's another um, couple couple three hundred dollars there. So to to make those bills as they come due shortly here. But those two are the the most important for tonight. The thirty dollars so. Rama can get some gas and uh, 154.21 of the Verizon bill that is due tomorrow. So, and the others are coming up, and they generally need $200 a week for their living expenses. And um, yeah, so they need food and gas, and some of that gas is being paid reduces that need for 200. It obviously. So let's let's make sure that we keep up with what they need and for their personal expenses so that they can buy the food they need and honor them in that way. 
and then also the gas so that Ronald can go get those messages. <laughs> so lots of gratitude for going into your heart space and giving in a, in a generous way at this time. We are so grateful for you. And uh, thank you for your, your prayers and of abundance and manifestation in all of our lives as we go through these these times that we're in. Um, so again, 13 thank yous and honey in the heart. As you're sending something, let Rama know. Send him an email to this email address, Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 999-39, at Comcast.net. And um, what else? Yeah, if, as you need it, and you might if you're going to wire some money or something, this is the physical address. Ram D. Berkowitz, R-A-M-D, Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z, Post Office, Box 280280, and that's in Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567 is the zip code. I'll say it again. Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567. So there you go. That's all the information, and you know how to do the rest. And so let's new people join in and make those contributions and participate in this way. We're grateful for you in all the ways that you show up. So 13 thank yous, honey, in the heart, long life, no evil, and I'm passing this talking stick. And it still has a lot of souls and saints all over the place from the soul, the, the Day of the Dead and All Saints Day and All Souls Day. So uh, lots of gratitude all around for all of our ancestors and all the people who brought us here and all of the seven generations in front of us that we take responsibility for making those wise choices so that they can live their lives in a good way. So this is the sort of truth is there, and we have the Sasquatch people there and the unicorns and the dragons keeping the magic flowing. So lots of gratitude on this with all the healing rays and all the rays of peace. And then all the fairies are still showing up, and a few of them have leftover candy corns, and they are... Pretty wired, <laughs> they're they're always bringing joy. So, so here they come. Lots of fairies with feathers, and lots of little people with the menahunis and the dwarves and the elves and the gnomes and all the elementals are there. So, greetings, Tara and Rama. Here comes this talking stick. It's coming your way. Okay, we got Ooh, it. We thank got it, you, Ranger. <laughs> yes. Over the rainbow. Thank you, everyone. Can mean many things. Yes, thank you, everyone. Thank you, thank you. Um, the moment is poised, I would say. It you? is. And uh, what was that statement that Lady Nada said yesterday in the update? I will be seeing you when you least expect it. (laughs) And that she has not said. And in other words, that's a very large hint that it's upon us. 
the light has has won. Yes. And what else do you want to say, Rama, from your update tonight? Oh, to please place the violet flame in the circle of support around the Middle East and place that violet fire and call in all the angels and masters and do the decrees that we do with Cheryl on Sunday and Monday. This energy of the decrees changes physical space, time, matter, and um, it's not airy-fairy stuff. It's real. It works. It works. We get everything we need, want, and desire, even though we might not even be aware of it. <laughs> yeah. We might get something we better than we expected. Remember that song, you can't always get what you want, <laughs> but you always get what you need. Yes. And in other words, as we, you know, do the white light uh, magic, uh, violet flame magic meditation kind of work, which we're going to play in a little while from Ray. Um, what it does is it, uh, it it adds to the enlightenment of your soul, so that you really have a choice that you may not have known, because it sheds light on higher choices. So I'll just say here what Rama said today. I went and sat with fourteen deer and nine crows. And the caretaker at the I Am Sanctuary in Santa Fe, New Mexico. It was 11.25 a.m. this morning. The caretaker said to me, Lord Rama, we are in a very precarious time right now. And we are in the most transformative time. I can tell you that the decrees that Mama and Daddy Ballard, and they tell tell who they were, Rama. They were the folks that actually uh, downloaded and transcribed the uh, the green books, the magic presents, actual dictations from Saint Germain and the other masters. And it's all real. Um, Daddy Ballard was taken into Mount Shasta and met with Lord Adama and the other folks of Telos. And uh, in the decrees, they speak about the five elements and how to work with the energies that are pouring in right now. In the last 24 hours, there have been big, big solar flares and mass coronal ejections. So the sun is, you know, I'm not saying when, but it's right in the mix, so to speak. Yeah, this... Pivot point is right in our 
missed. Yeah, yes. yeah. there have been radio blackouts and all kinds of strange stuff going on. And the ships are showing up everywhere, all over the planet in various spots. Some of the ships being seen are the triangular-shaped ships. And our, you know, MIBs, the men in black, the deep state of the United States, place with these two. Yet the folks I'm talking about come from Andromeda and when you're in the presence of their ships, all you feel is love. You don't feel a sense of anxiety or, uh, you know, what's, what shoe's about to drop next. And that is the true resonance of love. You can't fake that. And I, you know, it... Um, I just have to bring it into the realm that what the dark side is playing with is this failing matrix and love overcomes all. All we need is love, like the Beatles said. (laughs) So the caretaker said to me, Lord Rama, we are in a very precarious time right now. Yes. And... We are in the most transformative time as well. We have the ability to change this reality with our thoughts. Like Patty has been teaching us and Aurora Ray and Cryon and so many other folks. I mean, we got it. We got the gifts. We got our Jedi abilities and we got to use them. And how we do that is... Asking the force, where do I go from here? And you listen. It will tell you. Uh, I mean, unequivocally, it will tell you. And yes, the force will tell you. The actual yes. force I can tell you, Lord Rama, that the transformative... Um, I'm sorry. I can tell you as as well, Lord Rama, that the decrees, yes, that Mama and Daddy Ballard at the time, back in 1929, into from then until through World War II, were tremendously were tremendous in. Um, uh, in overcoming the darkness, yeah, they 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 gave a great uh, service in their decrees at that time, and it it actually it it overcame the darkness uh, all the way through and into and beyond World War Two, and we are surely. In that time right now, as we speak, as we would all come together and meditate for just four minutes a day. Lord Cryon of Magnetic Service knows what he's talking about as he says this. Then the character 
as he just, you know, what, what what's just said. He said that, just what I just read. Then the caretaker said to me, Lord Rama, you remember the Beatles, Rama, right? I said, yes. I know they went on to study with His Holiness Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. I met him and spent a whole, uh, spent four days hanging out with him. And I did too. And did you get your name? No, I got that from my father. No, I mean, you get another name when you oh, go there. Oh, I got a mantra, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. All right. Mm-hmm. Me too. I don't know if I know it anymore, though. <laughs> a long time ago. Um, so anyway, so yes, Rama said, yes, I, I know they went to see and study with His Holiness Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. The time is now that we, with the quantum field, can stop this darkness. The time is now. We have all the knowledge and wisdom we need. All we are saying is give peace a chance. Satnam, namaste, blaze of violet fire. Let us acknowledge that we know a whole lot more about who we are and we know that we can do this together right now. Mm-hmm. Yes, we can. We can play this. All right, let's play this. This is how long, Rabba? Seven minutes. All right, till just barely make it. Let's do that. The magic of white light meditation. inspiring journey of self-discovery, I invite you to experience the taste of the fifth dimension through a powerful meditation. Known as the white light meditation, this simple yet profound technique has the ability to transform your energy and raise it upwards, elevating your consciousness to new heights. As the first rays of sunlight gently caress the world, you find yourself in the perfect moment to embark on this spiritual adventure. It is in the early morning, just before you rise from your slumber, that the energy around you is at its peak. In this state of awakening, you are alert, receptive, and less entangled in the web of thoughts that often clouds our minds. Lie down on your back, close your eyes, and surrender to the enchantment that awaits. With each breath, immerse yourself in the symphony of sensations as you visualize a radiant white light energy cascading through the crown of your head. Feel its gentle descent, like a cascading waterfall of pure luminosity, infusing every cell of your being with divine brilliance. As this celestial energy permeates your body, allow it to sweep away any lingering traces of stagnation or negativity, leaving you cleansed, rejuvenated, and reconnected to the essence of your spirit. Embrace the transformative power of this ethereal radiance as it breathes new life into your entire being, paving the way for profound healing and inner renewal. And with each exhale, imagine a contrasting darkness traveling downward and exiting through your toes. 
This velvety darkness soothes and calms your being, allowing you to release any tension or anxiety that may have accumulated within you. As you engage in this transformative practice, remember to take slow, deep breaths, embracing the power of visualization. This technique harnesses the body's rested state just after waking up, amplifying its effectiveness. Through the rhythmic dance of breath and visualization, you open yourself to a world of infinite possibilities. But the morning is not the only time to experience the wonders of the fifth dimension. As the night sky blankets the world, and you find yourself in the middle, teetering between sleep and wakefulness, another window of opportunity arises. This is the second best time to delve into the depths of this meditation. In this twilight realm, aim to practice the white light meditation for a duration of 15 minutes. Falling asleep during this practice is not only acceptable, but can also be beneficial as its impact continues to work within your unconscious mind Allow the waves of energy and consciousness to ripple through your being, gently guiding you toward higher realms of awareness. Consistency is key on this profound journey. By dedicating yourself to practicing the white light meditation for 21 consecutive days, you open the gateway to surprising transformations. What makes this method truly extraordinary is its ability to ignite change without the need to repress your thoughts or emotions. Instead, it gently nudges you toward a state of pure presence and connection with the divine. As you immerse yourself in the white light meditation, the boundaries between the physical and spiritual realms blur and you begin to experience a heightened sense of connectedness. You become aware of the subtle energies that weave through the fabric of existence, and you realize that you are an integral part of this grand tapestry. With each breath, the white light energy permeates every aspect of your being, nurturing your soul and expanding your consciousness. It cleanses and purifies, washing away the layers of conditioning and societal expectations that may have kept you confined to the limitations of the three-dimensional world. Simultaneously, the darkness that flows out with each exhale offers solace and tranquility, soothing the restless mind and calming the turbulence of emotions. It is a reminder that within the depths of darkness lies the potential for profound transformation and inner growth. Through the white light meditation, you tap into the wellspring of creativity that resides within you. Ideas flow effortlessly and inspiration becomes your constant companion you become attuned to the subtle whispers of the universe, sensing the interconnectedness of all things and understanding that you are an active participant in the co-creation of your reality. As the meditation becomes woven into the fabric of your daily life, you begin to notice surprising transformations taking place. Old patterns of thought and behavior fall away, replaced by a newfound sense of purpose and clarity. Relationships deepen as you radiate love and compassion from the depths of your being. Synchronicities unfold, guiding you along the path of your highest potential. The fifth dimension is not a far-off destination or a distant dream. It is a state of consciousness that exists within you, waiting to be awakened and embraced. The white light meditation serves as a key to unlock the door to this extraordinary realm allowing you to transcend the limitations of the physical world and experience the expansive nature of your true self. 
as we conclude this exploration of the fifth dimension and the transformative power of the white light meditation, remember that you hold the power to embark on this journey of self-discovery. Embrace the extraordinary, for it is within your reach. Open yourself to the wonders of the fifth dimension and watch as your reality shifts and expands, revealing the boundless potential that lies within. Are you ready to step into the realm of the fifth dimension? The choice is yours. Let the white light meditation be your guiding light, leading you to a state of consciousness where the extraordinary becomes your new normal. Welcome to the awakening of your true self and the limitless possibilities that await you in the mystical embrace of the fifth dimension. We love you dearly. We are here with you. We are your family of light. We are the Galactic Federation. Aho. This is a message to humanity from Aurora Ray, Ambassador of the Galactic Federation. to me what do you say rama yes all right so let's give out the phone numbers for coming to the conference call uh, 720-716-7301 and the pin code is 353-863-POUND okay do you need to repeat that one more time just to make sure 720-716 7301 and the pin code is 3538636 so we'll see you there everyone and then we'll be right back here at the top of the following hour back to BBS radio station 1 <laughs> best radio there is in the universe and the whole world is changing under our feet right now. Asara now. All right. See you on the conference, everyone. Namaste.
Hi, Precious Heart. Thank you for joining us for our weekly vlog. Over the past several months, not only have we experienced unprecedented influxes of light and shifts of vibration taking place at a cellular level within our earthly bodies, we have also experienced a greatly intensified purging process within the elemental kingdom. This is evident as we witness the record-breaking weather events occurring around the world. Both the acceleration of light and the purging of the elemental kingdom are vital aspects of Mother Earth's ascension process. Unfortunately, in many instances, these events are wreaking havoc on our physical bodies and the body of Mother Earth. As a result of these physical changes, Millions of people are asking for divine intervention to help heal our earthly bodies and calm the elemental kingdom. In response to these sincere heart calls, the floodgates of heaven have opened once again. Our Father, Mother, God have given the legions of healing permission to assist us in more powerful and profound ways. It is difficult to fathom the magnitude of what this gift of divine grace truly means. But during the cosmic moment, humanity is now able to receive from on high unprecedented assistance with the healing of our earthly bodies and the elemental kingdom. To help each of us fully understand what is causing the increased challenges in our earthly bodies and the body of Mother Earth, the company of heaven is revealing that the inordinate stress we are feeling in our physical, etheric, mental, and emotional bodies is the result of the overwhelming toxic substances that have been dumped into our environment over the past 50 years. Our food, water, air, and even our homes are filled with toxic chemicals that are causing all kinds of designer diseases. These afflictions include heart and respiratory issues, obesity, diabetes, cancer, autism, Alzheimer's, depression, anxiety, panic attacks, post-traumatic stress disorders, and many other maladies in our bodies. We are being told that these toxic chemicals also trigger mental imbalances, which are causing much of the violence, rage, fear, mental confusion, and irrational behavior people are demonstrating around the world. The government revealed not long ago that there are 80,000 chemicals polluting our air, food, water, and other areas of our lives. Of those 80,000 chemicals, the FDA has thoroughly tested only 200 of them. Of the 200 chemicals tested, five of them were determined to be powerful carcinogens. It is no wonder people everywhere are being inundated 
with mental, emotional, and physical challenges that often seem beyond their ability to cope. There are many things we can do to try and avert some of these toxins, such as eating fresh organic food and drinking pure water, but that is not going to be enough to reclaim vibrant health. In order to do that, we are going to have to raise our frequency of vibration and transcend these environmental pollutants. The wonderful thing about the gifts of divine grace that are being made available to us at this time by our Father, Mother, God, is that all life is interrelated, interconnected, and interdependent. That means that when we invoke healing for ourselves and our loved ones, that healing light is then available for every man, woman, and child on earth. Since humanity's thoughts, words, actions, and feelings are reflected on the elemental kingdom, as we heal ourselves, we will also heal the elemental kingdom and the body of Mother Earth. This collective effort will help to calm the natural disasters that are manifesting around the world. And it will lift the earth and all life evolving upon her into higher frequencies of fifth dimensional crystalline solar light. Mother Earth is now abiding within. These frequencies of fifth dimensional crystalline solar light transcend the dense toxins and pollutants that are causing the majority of our problems. For this higher frequency, we can blaze the emerald green flame of healing and the violet flame of transmutation into the toxins and transmute their adverse effects. This will prevent us from having to experience the diseases and disorders the toxic substances are causing in our carbon-based bodies at this time. This may be difficult to accept, but know that God's healing light is infinitely powerful. For this specific facet of the unfolding divine plan, our Father Mother God have invoked the beings of light from the etheric temples of healing and music. Our godparents have given these selfless messengers of God permission to intervene in more powerful ways to assist with the healing of our earthly bodies, the earthly bodies of humanity, the elemental kingdom, and Mother Earth. All we have to do to receive this enhanced assistance of healing is ask for their assistance. The beings of light who are associated with these etheric temples are beloved Mother Mary, who holds the immaculate concept for all healing, and the ascended masters Hilarion and Saint Germain. Hilarion is the director of the Emerald Green 
fifth solar aspect of deity, which pulsates with healing and truth. Saint Germain is the director of the violet seventh solar aspect of deity, which pulsates with transmutation and transfiguration. The sacred fire that blazes on the altar within the temples of healing and music in the inner realms is an emerald green flame with a violet radiance. Our Father, Mother, God have told us this flame is the most powerful frequency of healing available to humanity at this time. With Mother Earth's ascension into her new solar reality, this sacred fire has also ascended into a solar frequency. It is now known through all creation as the fifth dimensional solar flame of healing through the power of infinite transmutation. As the emerald green flame of healing restores and transforms our bodies, the violet flame of infinite transmutation transmutes into light the cause, core, effect, record, and memory of whatever caused the maladies in our bodies in the first place. Mother Mary, Hilarion, and Saint Germain have at their beck and call legions of angels who serve with them in the etheric temples of healing and music. These selfless angels have now been empowered to help humanity to effectively utilize the new solar flame of healing through the power of infinite transmutation. Due to the urgency of the hour, Mother Mary, Hilarion, and Saint Germain have directed their angels to respond to the clarion call of the I am presence of every man, woman, and child on earth with the most intensified healing light that cosmic law will allow. In deep humility and gratitude, these angels of healing and transmutation have volunteered to enter into and to remain within the energy fields of all humanity while we go through the process of transfiguring the diseased and mutated cells within our earthly bodies and the bodies of the elemental kingdom and Mother Earth. We do not have to fully understand what all of this means in order to benefit from the intensified gift of healing that is being given to humanity now by our Father, Mother, God, and the legions of healing. All we need to do is ask our I Am Presence and the I Am Presence of every person on Earth to take command of our physical, etheric, 
mental and emotional bodies during this following activity of light. If you have the heart call to do so, please join with me and light workers around the world for this opportunity. And we begin. We now invoke Mother Mary, Hilarion, Saint Germain, and their legions of angels for a new order of solar healing. I am my I am presence, and I am one with the I am presence of every person on earth. The healing I invoke for myself this day, I invoke for humanity, the elemental kingdom, and Mother Earth in perfect alignment with the highest good for all concerned. Beloved presence of God, I am through the divinity blazing in every heart flame. I invoke the legions of angels associated with the brand new solar frequencies of emerald green and violet solar flame of healing through the power of infinite transmutation. This emerald green and violet solar flame is the most powerful frequency of healing available in the new solar reality Mother Earth is now abiding in. This sacred fire transcends everything less than vibrant health and God's infinite physical perfection. Beloved angels, blaze forth the most intensified activity of the healing flame that cosmic law will allow. Project this sacred fire into the core of purity in every electron of precious life energy comprising the earthly bodies of humanity, the elemental kingdom, and Mother Earth. Cast every frequency of vibration that is less than God's infinite physical perfection into the violet transmuting flame. Instantly transmute every frequency of vibration in any facet of life that conflicts with the immaculate concept of humanities, the elemental kingdoms, and Mother Earth's fifth dimensional crystalline solar light bodies. Beloved ones, increase this activity of healing light daily and hourly with every breath I take. Allow me to be the open door for the emerald green and violet flame of solar healing through the power of infinite transmutation. I am a force of healing for Mother Earth and all life evolving upon her. I am magnetizing into my sphere of awareness 
every person, place, condition, or thing that I can assist in any way with God's healing light. Father, Mother, God, give me the divine opportunities to love all life free on this sweet earth. I am open. I am willing. I am receptive. I am grateful. I am God's solar healing flame in action on earth. And so it is. In God's most holy name, I am. I am, I am. Dear one, give yourself the gift of focusing regularly on this healing flame. God bless you. I look forward to being with you soon. Welcome to this bloodline clearing meditation. And open, breathe, soften, relax. Breathing light once more into your body from the universe around you and releasing anything that doesn't serve you back to the universe. And breathe and open. Remembering the angels around you, angels, the four angels, Raphael in the east, and Michael in the south, Gabriel in the west, Uriel in the north. Four angels, four energies, and breathe and open. Breathe and open, breathe and open. And into the space, let's call your mother and your mother's higher self. Whether your mother's incarnate or not, call her here. And allow her to appear before you. Allow her to appear before you. Say to her silently, I've called you to release anything not love between us. I have called you to release anything not love between us. 
and then ask to increase the light between you and your mother and notice anywhere there is cords or threads connecting you to your mother. Check the front and the back, cords or shadowy energies. And call upon Michael's sword of light. Call upon that great sword of light into your hands and cut all cords with your mother front and back. Pull them out from your body like weeds pulling them out from the earth. Throw them to ultraviolet fire and dissolve them. And then ask your body be sealed with light. Cut all cords, pull them out, throw them to the fire, seal your body with light. just do this till the work is done until you're completely clear of cords with your mother and then let's call if you have any personal contracts with your mother agreements vows promises from any lifetime including this Allow them to appear between you as scrolls or sheets of paper. If any appear, destroy them, rip them up and throw them to the fire. ask your higher self to assist you destroying all contracts clearing through the whole Akashic all minds or bodies or timelines destroying any backup or recreation programming and just destroying through all time and space Release from your body any energies you're holding from your mother, any stories, beliefs, release, any trapped emotions relating to your mother, back to the universe, any judgments, release, allow more light to return to you. Feel a greater light between you and your mother.
And I call and summon a doorway of light behind your mother, whether to the left or to the right, that represents an entry point to your mother line. See that doorway forming. Step up to the door and allow your mother and her higher self to accompany you. On the other side of the door is a landscape or the inside of a, of a building or structure. And this space represents your mother line energy, however your unconscious understands it or wishes to represent it to you. When you're ready, step through the door. Close the door behind you and look down at your feet. Know that you're standing on solid ground, whether that ground be light. Open your inner senses, sense of sight, of seeing, color and shape and form. Your sense of hearing, of hearing sound and silence. Sense of touch sense of feeling, sense of knowing, taste and smell, open all senses and allow the space to rise up around you, allow the space to rise up around you. Noticing the colors, the sounds, the feel of the space. And whether you're indoors or outdoors, I call now, are there any earthbound souls trapped on the bloodline that need to come for release? And just sense if there are shadows or figures, shadowy figures coming before you. These represent earthbound beings on the bloodline. them to gather and I call upon Metatron and all angels working with Metatron to open a portal of light a portal of light above your head as this portal opens, this is the way these earthbound souls are released. Point to the light and tell all shadowy figures, it's time now to go to the light. To be released from the earth plane, to go to the light. And allow all these shadowy figures to be released back to universe wherever they need to go for the next step in their own evolutionary journey. And there are guides on the other side waiting to meet them. 
they're not alone. Releasing all shadows, releasing all shadows. the job is done closing the portal you may notice the space around you getting brighter lighter feels easier somehow into space now I call a pattern from the bloodline that's touching you now one pattern that pattern may be an addiction it may be a story something that affects you or limits you in some way Call that pattern now as energy. It has an energy mass, energy field. Allow that field to begin to be revealed before you. And notice the size, the shape, the color or colors, the lightness or density, how you feel about this pattern. And if there are any cords attaching you to this pattern, call upon Michael. Cut all cords, pull them out from your body throw them to ultraviolet fire sever any connection to this pattern energetically seal your body with light check front and back I ask your higher self to reveal a symbol that represents this pattern this symbol will be dark in some form it won't be a bright symbol usually perhaps a skull or a dark crystal a dark scroll symbol representing the heaviness of this pattern see that symbol before you and calling upon grace Elohim and ultraviolet fire angels destroy and burn that symbol in silver violet fire silver violet fire
and then also allowing silver violet fire into the field of the pattern itself rippling light from the earth upwards silver violet fire clearing and cleansing the pattern changing now, lightening up or dissolving or fragmenting or releasing. Just allowing that to happen. And release this pattern from before you. Release and allow it to dissipate. Allowing the space around you to brighten up. If there are any contracts with the mother line, see them now appear in this space as scrolls or sheets of paper, promises, agreements, vows with the bloodline taken on unconsciously when you were born. Notice them form. And then when they finish forming, destroy them all. Destroy them all. Rip them up, throw them to ultraviolet fire. I ask your higher self to assist you, clearing throughout the whole Akashic, all of these agreements, contracts, vows and promises made with the bloodline, not for your highest good. Clear all these agreements back to the time of origin. Clearing all minds, all dimensions, all timelines. Clearing any backup or recreation programming that would allow these to recreate. Clearing with ultraviolet fire, destroy and release. And once again, the space around you may brighten, may lighten, may shift, may change. I ask your higher self now for a, a gift, a symbol of light, representing a gift from the bloodline, a gift from the bloodline. And sense this symbol before you, a brighter symbol. And a symbol of light can be anything from a crystal, a flower, a scroll, a sheet of paper, a key. Take this symbol in your hands and allow it to dissolve into your hand chakras, into the cells of your body. Into the cells of your body, into the very DNA of your body. And from there also into the chakra system beginning to radiate light throughout your being, opening what needs to open, awaken what needs to awaken. Just allow this to happen.
breathe and if there's anything you wish to say to your mother do so now silently anything perhaps you've never been able to say she may wish to respond When you're ready, release your mother back to the light and the whole bloodline, thanking the mother line for the gift of life. When you're ready, turn, come out through the door, close the door behind you and disappear the door. Disappear the door. back and now we call your father and your father's high self your father and your father's high self when he appears before you Say to him silently, I've called you to release anything not loved between us. Increase the light and again, notice if there are any cords or threads connecting you to your father. If there are, call upon the sword of light, cut all cords with the father. them out from your field, throw them to the fire, seal your body with light. Cut all cords with the father, front and back. And then let's ask if you have any contracts with your father from any lifetime, including this that need to be destroyed to appear between you as scrolls or parchments, sheets of paper. If any appear, destroy them, rip them up, throw them to the fire. I ask your higher self to assist you, clearing the whole Akashic of any agreement, contract, vow, or promise not for your highest good. Clear these agreements back to the time of origin minds or bodies or timelines or dimensions clearing all backup or recreation programming clearing everything of a negative nature between you and your father and release any stories you're holding from your father Judgments, expectations, obligations, limitations, conditioning, out of your field, any trapped emotions, release. And behind your father, a doorway of light appears, representing an entry point into the bloodline energies. 
step up to the doorway, allow your father and his higher self to be with you. On the other side, a landscape or a room or a hall of some kind. When you're ready, step through the door, close the door behind you. Look down at your feet. Once again, you're standing on solid ground or light. Allow the space around you to arise, whether in nature or in some building of some kind. Trust your inner senses, open your inner senses. Notice the colors, the shapes, the sounds, the silences, the feel of the place. And once again, we call, if there are any earthbound energies on the bloodline that need release to come to you now as shadows, as shadows, and there may well be earthbound souls on the bloodline. Find them, allow them to gather, and I call upon Metatron and all angels of light working with Metatron to open a portal of light, portal of light. beings to go through that portal pointing the way go to the light encouraging all beings to step into the light there's nothing to be afraid of on the other side many guides will be waiting for them Release all trapped energies in the bloodline. Let them all go. When they've gone, close the portal. You may notice the landscape around you or the space brightening or lightening. Once again, I call a family pattern or story that's touching you in this life. 
invoke that pattern or story as energy. And see an energy field in front of you forming. field may be light, it may be dark, it may be composed of a color or many colors, it may feel heavy or light, allow the field to form, if there are any cords between you and this field, call upon Michael's sword and cut them all once again. out from your body, throw them to the fire, seal your body with light. Releasing everything between you and this field. And then ask your higher self to create a symbol representing the energy of this field. That symbol may be dark, perhaps a dark flower, dark scroll, a skull, or a dark magical implement or image. Calling upon grace, Elohim, and ultraviolet fire angels destroy this symbol in silver-violet fire. Destroy it, vaporize it, and allow light to flow through this energy field, silver-violet fire, dispelling it, clearing it, cleansing it, shifting it. releasing the pattern, releasing all connection to the pattern. If there are any contracts, see them now appear in this space as scrolls or sheets of paper, promises, agreements, vows with the bloodline taken on unconsciously when you were born. Notice them form. And then when they finish forming, destroy them all. Destroy them all. Rip them up, throw them to ultraviolet fire. I ask your higher self to assist you, clearing throughout the whole Akashic, all of these agreements, contracts, vows, and promises made with the bloodline, not for your highest good. Clear all these agreements back to the time of origin. Clearing all minds, all dimensions, all timelines clearing any backup or recreation programming that would allow these to recreate. Clearing with ultraviolet fire, destroy and release. And once again, the space around you may brighten, may lighten. And then when this is done, let's call for a gift from the bloodline as a symbol of light a gift for you from the bloodline and allow a symbol to form in front of you from the bloodline. The symbol may be anything from a golden key, a flower, a crystal, a scroll, a piece of sacred geometry. Take that symbol into your hands, allow it to dissolve 
as light into the cells DNA of the body and chakra system allow that light to radiate throughout your whole field and breathe and open and if there's anything you want to say to the father do so now silently whatever you need to say to him done release the father and then release the whole bloodline back to the light thanking the bloodline for the gift of life and come back through the door disappear the door behind you and come back to your energy allowing more light to flow to you, clearing the bloodline, feeling the gifts of the bloodline within you. And breathe, breathe and open and relax and begin to come back to your body, wiggling fingers and toes, fingers and toes. We are all servants of peace, peace, peace now, peace now.
<laughs> Greetings, Mother. You and your Peshat friend, that's Tigger again. Singing it's the song. all like of your most radiant world in the office of the Christ and only in the office of the Christ we invoke the loving energies of Saint Germain and the Violet as the Beatles sang, speaking words of wisdom, let it be, let it be. And uh, as we speak those words of wisdom, take them deeper into our hearts and sing a song of joy because we have really arrived. It is done, and there's only one of us here, and so it is, kitties and all. <laughs> Greetings, Mother. Greetings, children of rock. <laughs> Indeed, it is done. We are in a new timeline. All the old is falling away faster than we can talk about tonight. It is these new energies coming in. The sun is very active right now. It is the catalyst for the change. We are sunlight. Everything is made of sunlight. Plasma. It makes what's happening part of the whole. What an amazing time to be here. To be in these temples of living crystalline light. That's what's happening. Like Patty talks about. These bodies are becoming crystalline living light, living love. It is what we are all made of.
the drama on the planet is getting thicker by the day. Gotta stay in the neutral place to navigate it all. Understand, understand, overstand. The level of chaos. It is because we need to talk to the elements as we can communicate with the five elements what are we made of mostly water bags of water <laughs> remember that mother yes Penny was talking about the ascension process we're in. Yes. And I got a message that, yes, Earth is ascending, but all the other billions of planets are ascending with her. It is a simultaneous effect. Everybody's going up. What? No one left behind, right? No one gets left behind. When we said this was a ride, we were not kidding. <laughs> Even the naughty ones yes. get their lessons, but they're going to get it as quick as a... What? Oh, my fur and whiskers, as you can say, all that. Yes, I'm late. For a very important date. With destiny. Mm -hmm. It is about forgiveness, compassion, love. <sighs> What is happening on the planet at this time? It's this very ancient story of our wayward children who played around and fell. Power is a big deal. It is that we are creator goddesses and gods of the Most High. Right now, 
all the stories about this area of the planet, there are still many treasures that will be revealed from the Middle East. This ancient technology of resurrection it is within us. Gotta talk to the DNA. Allow the light, living light, living love, pouring in from the sun to flood the cells. This sunlight is most unique because it has the qualities of what is building the crystalline structure of these new temples. It's been going on for quite a while. And this might be why many folks are feeling a little itchy. Anxious, when's it gonna happen? What's happening is we're being upgraded by the nanosecond when you stop and tune in and just listen to this oneness. can feel it. And it is a good thing. A wayward children have nowhere to go but up. It's their choice. They choose not to go up. So we're gonna help out here. This particular time as we're moving in to the next 72 hours, increased solar flares, solar winds, There are three oppositions in the next three days with the astrology. Watch where you walk on the invisible path. Take the time to go slowly. Each step is a trillion miles across the universe.
believing in the magic, right, Mother? Yes. It is a big deal because the magic in of itself is us. We are the magic, so to speak. We volunteered to come here as wage sowers to share the wisdom of the universe. Now it's that time as we show up with our craft there needs to be you could say equivalent of the ship's counselors of course they are here as well from the craft yet you are at the point where as you see us there is no fear help the others understand we come in peace mm -hmm. no invasion fleet the only invasion is that old timeline that's ending right now. They got very little time left in the old matrix. We cannot give a day. Yet you can see it, sense it, touch it, feel it. The whole world wants peace, Mother. The whole world wants peace. Mm -hmm. It is the nature of growth. Out of that oneness comes the next step. And it is if there is such a thing called sin it is about one getting in the way of another going home. Our wayward children can't stop the ascension of this planet or any other. They are part of the ascension, willing or not. That is why. We're going to help them out. King Dracos is the most benevolent king. These mm. wars, ancient wars in Orion, have been settled eons ago. The drama is right here on this planet. You said Dharma or drama? Drama. I thought that's going to be over too now. Right it now. is. Right now. That is the case. 
So they're going to be disarmed in the sense of, I'm not talking about guns, but they're going to be disarmed with, they won't be able to hang on to their anger and rage. That's They cannot use their extraordinary abilities of enchantment to put a spell on you, so to speak, with their words. Oh, that doesn't work anymore, Mother. No. All of it is at an end. I'm just getting the grip, mother. Holy Hannah. Holy Toledo. Holy cow. Holy whatever else that we can say here without getting into the weeds. <laughs> It is a glorious time to be here. Mm -hmm. What is unfolding is this Satyuga joy, enlightenment, ecstasy, happiness. is the nature of the universe where there are cycles of positive negative but it is about energy not about false ideologies of greater than Less than, we're all equal in this story. The biggest thing we could share as we move into this time that the Wicca people going into the underworld for a little while, walking with Pluto. Winter space, inner work. Back is the biggest task in front of us. The chop wood carry water before and after enlightenment. It is what's happening. Mother, how do we do this? How do we bring this new balance? By loving each other even more than you can imagine. <laughs> like Archbishop Desmond Tutu and His Holiness Dalai Lama. I like to giggle like children. 
is the ecstasy. Yet, what has been going on in this last little while it is about this ancient story of greater and lesser and we can just say we're all equal in this story. The concepts about gods, goddesses, there are as many beings of radiant light, radiant love, as there are grains of sand on this planet and stars in the sky. What this moment is about, Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. This is how we heal this issue right here, right now. It's bigger than we have words for. As you repeat the mantra, O Madne Padne Hum, O Madne Padne Hum, we are the jewel in the lotus. Peace can be achieved. It comes from within as well as without. It is the nature of the universe. Yet, gotta trust each other. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. And Place the violet fire, said only love. Greatest in the rock of the, the most radiant one. Kadosh, 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 Adonai, Savaya. Kadosh, 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 Adonai, Savaya. Kadosh, 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 Adonai, Savaya. Ilyahu, 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 Yod He, Vod He, Yavah, Adonai, Asu, Aragas. Namaste, Mother. Namaste. We love everyone. Thank you, everyone. We're doing it. Yes, we are. I'll just give a little bit of a moment here, everyone. Rama to get back in this body.
And where might you be coming back to from? Hmm. Coming back here from, I guess is the right way to ask that. Um. Uh, I just remember being in this um turquoise green water and there's light coming up from underneath in the water and dolphins were doing their sounds and it seemed like I was in some sort of like a cave and the reflections of the turquoise in the green, blue, um, felt like possibly Mexico. I uh, could have been another planet. I'm not sure. <laughs> I just remember seeing the dolphins, you know, making their sounds and. And they were all you and them were all in a cave. Was the water in the cave too? Yes. Oh, so there was light reflecting on the walls of the cave. Yes. Ooh. And they were singing. <laughs> I can so say. You can hear an echo when you're in a cave, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't experienced that in a long time. <laughs> oh, you remember it from a time in the past. Yeah. Do you remember where you were the last time you remember? Not really. (laughs) I just know the story is over. All the folks are here, whether they have fins or scales or fur or feathers. (laughs) (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess we gotta go listen to Miss Amy. We're gonna listen to Tallahassee Coats first, right? Yeah. And I'm gonna say, don't you think, Rama? Place of Violet. Don't you think that Amy's show's gonna start showing a lot of happy things? Yeah. It's coming to that point now. It is. Pommy was a little concerned about how good we feel once Mother has uh, dosed us. And then we're going to blood guts and you know what. (laughs) I I don't think so. I think if you really listen to Amy, they are are really on a high vibration of light. They're not uh, doing anything except finding that place where accountability is necessary. And that's really bringing in light, where we can hold people accountable in loving presence. Let's let's do that while we listen. And Tallahassee is or it's going to be a treat to listen to him. He's been a while since we heard him. Okay, I gotta back it up. Okay. All right.
with Nermeen Sheikh. As pressure builds for a ceasefire after 27 days of Israel's bombardment of Gaza, we spend the rest of the hour with the acclaimed author and journalist Tanahasi Coates. This summer, he spoke at a literary festival in the West Bank that connected the Palestinian struggle with decolonization struggles around the world. In Ramallah, he opened his remarks with a comparison between the struggle of African Americans and Palestinians. In recent weeks, Coates joined dozens of other writers and artists in signing an open letter from participants in the Palestine Festival of Literature that was published in the New York Review of Books and called for, quote, the international community to commit to ending the catastrophe unfolding in Gaza and to finally pursuing a comprehensive and just solution, political solution in Palestine. Last night, Tanahasi Coates participated in another event hosted by organizers of the Palestine Festival of Literature or PALFest in the James Chapel at Union Theological Seminary here in New York City. It was cold, but we must speak on Palestine and the mandates of conscience. Tanahasi is the recipient of a prestigious MacArthur Fellowship and the recipient of numerous prizes, including the National Book Award for his book, Between the World and Me. We Were Eight Years in Power is another book, an American tragedy, and his memoir, The Beautiful Struggle. His novel is titled The Water Dancer. In 2014, he wrote an award-winning cover story for The Atlantic magazine, headlined The Case for Reparations. Tanahasi, welcome back to Democracy Now! It's great to have you with us under extremely difficult circumstances. Last night, this remarkable event almost didn't happen. I mean, it was in the James Chapel of Union Theological Seminary, but venue after venue had said no to this gathering. And without almost any publicity, well over a thousand people turned out, but the place only held 300. So people went over across the street to another place of 300 overcrowd, overthrow, and then thousands watched on the live video stream. Can you talk about your experience being in the West Bank, uh, going to the occupied territories, um, and how it changed you? Oh, wow. Um, I I spent 10 days um, in Palestine, in the occupied territories, and in in Israel proper. I've had the great luxury over the past 10 years of seeing uh, a few countries. Uh, I have not spent more time or seen more of uh, another country or another territory than than I did uh, this summer. Um, I think what shocked me the most was uh, in any sort of um, opinion piece or reported piece or, or whatever you want to call it that I've read, about Israel and about the conflict with the Palestinians. There's a word that comes up uh, all the time, and it is complexity. That and it's uh, closely related uh, adjective complicated. And so while I had my skepticisms and I had my suspicions of the Israeli government of the occupation, um, what I expected was that I would find a situation in which it was hard to discern right from wrong. It was hard to understand the morality at play. Um, It was hard to understand the conflict. And perhaps the most shocking thing was uh, I immediately understood uh, what was going on over there. Probably the best example I, I can think of is, is, is the second day 
uh, when we went to Hebron. And, and, and the reality of the occupation uh, became clear. We were driving uh, out of East Jerusalem. I was with uh, Palestinian, uh, the with Powell Fest, um, and we were driving out of East Jerusalem uh, into the West Bank, and you know you could see the settlements, and they would point out the settlements, and it suddenly dawned on me that I was in a region of the world where some people could vote and some people could not, and that was obviously very very familiar to me. I got to Hebron, and we got out as a group of writers, and we were given a tour by a Palestinian guide. And we got to a certain street, and he said to us, I can't walk down this street. If you want to continue, you have to continue without me. And, and, and that was shocking to me. And we, we, we walked down the street, and we came back, and there was a, a market area. Uh, Hebron is very, very poor. It wasn't always very poor, but it's, it's very, very poor. Its market area has been shut down. But there are a few vendors there that, that I wanted to support. And... I was walking to try to get to the vendor, and I was stopped at a checkpoint. Checkpoints all through the city. The checkpoints obviously all through the West Bank. Uh, your mobility is is, is completely uh, inhibited, and the mobility of, of of the Palestinians is totally inhibited. And I was walking to the checkpoint, and an Israeli uh, guard uh, stepped out, probably about the age of my son, and he said to me, "What's your religion, bro?" And I said, well, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not really religious. And he said, come on, stop messing around. What is your religion? I said, I'm, I'm not playing. I'm not, I'm not really religious. And it became clear to me that unless I professed my religion and the right religion, I wasn't going to be allowed to walk forward. So he said, well, okay, so what was your parents' religion? I said, well, they weren't that religious either. He says, what were your, what are, what were your grandparents' religion? And I said, my grandmother was a Christian. And then he allowed me to pass. And it became very, very clear to me what was going on there. And I have to say, it, it, it was quite familiar. Again, I was in a territory where your mobility is inhibited, where your voting rights are inhibited, where your right to the water is inhibited, where your right to housing is inhibited, and it's all inhibited based on ethnicity. And that sounded extremely, extremely familiar to me. And so the most shocking thing about my time over there was how uncomplicated it actually is. Now, I'm not saying the details of it are not complicated. History is always complicated. Present events are always complicated. But the way this is reported in the Western media is as though one needs a PhD in Middle Eastern studies to understand the basic morality of holding a people in a situation in which they don't have basic rights, including the right that we treasure most, the franchise, the right to vote, and then declaring that state a democracy is actually not that hard to understand. It's actually quite familiar to those of us uh, with a familiarity to African with uh, to African American history. Well, Tanahasi Coates, last night you were asked about the significance of Martin Luther King's words on Vietnam. You said it's taken you years to quote understand nonviolence as an ethic, and that you understood that ethic in Israel. Could you explain? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, and, I, and I think the thing to do is just to proceed off of, off of what I said. Martin Luther King dedicated his life to the fight against segregation. Israel's a segregated society. 
the occupied territories are segregated. The Jews segregated. It's not, you know, hard to understand. There are different signs for where different people can go. There are different license plates forbidding different people from going different places. Now, what the authorities will tell you is that this is a, a security measure. But if you go back to the history of Jim Crow in this country, they would tell you the exact same thing. People always have good reasons besides, you know, I hate you and I don't like you to justify their right for imposing an oppressive regime on other people. It's never quite that simple. And so that was the first thing. But but the second thing I think that you're referring to is, you know, I, I you know, this is like really personal for me um, because I came up in a, in, a, in a time and in a place where um, I did not really understand the ethic of nonviolence. And by ethic, I mean the notion that violence itself is corrupting, that it corrupts the soul. And I didn't quite understand that. If, 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 if I'm truly honest with you, um, as much as I saw my relationship with the Palestinian people there, and as much as it was clear what the relationship was, it was at the same time clear that there was some sort of relationship with the Israeli people too. And it wasn't one that I particularly enjoyed. Because I understood the rage that comes when you have a history of oppression. I understood the anger. I understood the sense of humiliation that comes when people subject you to uh, uh, just manifold oppression, to genocide, and people uh, uh, look away from that. I come from the descendants of 250 years of enslavement. I come from a people who uh, sexual violence and rape is marked in our very bones and in our DNA. And I understand how when you feel that the world has turned its back on you, how you can then turn your back on the ethics of the world. But I also understood how corrupting that can be. I was listening to uh, 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 actually my congressman <laughs> last night, uh, or I guess it was two nights ago, talk on the news. And, and, and um, a journalist asked him, how many children, how many people must be killed to justify this operation? Is there an upper limit for the number of people that could be killed when you would say this is just too much, this just doesn't, this just doesn't, you know, a uh, uh, compute. This does not add up. And I have to tell you that congressman couldn't give a number. And I thought that man has been corrupted. That man has lost himself. He's lost himself in humiliation. He's lost himself in vengeance. He has lost himself in violence. I keep hearing this term repeated over and over again: the right to self-defense. What about the right to dignity? What about the right to morality? What about the right to, to be able to sleep at night? Because what I know is if I was complicit, and I am complicit, in dropping bombs on children, and dropping bombs on refugee camps, no matter who's there, it would give me trouble sleeping at night. And I worry for the souls of people who can do this and can sleep at night. Let me ask you, Tanahasi. <clears throat> last night, as I said at the beginning, I think Union Theological was the fifth place uh, that Powfest to turn to for this event. Um, with I, I want to point out who was there. Among the speakers was you, you know, a MacArthur Genius Fellow, was Michelle Alexander, um, uh, the remarkable author um, and lawyer. Uh, Rashid Khalidi, uh, leading Palestinian-American scholar, Edward Said, professor of Arab studies at Columbia University and others. And you being at Union Theological, you know, 
Dr. Martin Luther King is known for that speech, why oppose the war in Vietnam that he gave across the street at Riverside Church. But he started at Union Theological. So many people came, he had to go across the street for it. Um, but can you talk about this difficulty in speaking out? I mean, just last week, we spoke to Viet Thanh Nguyen, who is the Vietnamese-American Pulitzer Prize-winning author who was on a book tour for his latest memoir, and the 92nd Street Y, known as, now known as 92NY, canceled his conversation about his memoir because he had signed on to a letter. I think it was signed by 750 other people calling for a ceasefire. The U.N. Secretary General has called for a Gaza ceasefire. Can you talk about what it means to break the sound barrier? And if you were nervous about coming out and speaking about Gaza about the West Bank, even going to begin with, knowing what you would feel responsible for doing once you came out. Yeah, I wasn't just nervous; I was afraid. Um, I, you know, I, I I hear people um, talk all the time about the 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 how fearlessness is a, is a necessary quality, and and I have never had that. <laughs> I've never had that in my life, um, and I certainly have never had that in my career. Um, I spent five days with Powfest when I was over there, and then I spent another five days with a group of Israeli Jews, um, and I knew that whatever I was going to see, it, it like I, I had a, a sentiment. I couldn't express it like I just expressed it for you right now because obviously I hadn't been, but I had a sentiment that what I was going to see was not going to be great. Um, and I know that a, because of my upbringing and I know that B, because of my vocation as a journalist, you, you, you can't behold evil and then return and not speak on it. And segregation is evil. It just is no, there's, there's no way for me as an African American to come back and stand before you to witness segregation and not say anything about it. One of the hardest things um, was to come back and then to read the rhetoric of certain African-American politicians who are defending this regime. And, and I just, I, 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 I couldn't understand it. You know, I wanted to know if they had been to Hebron. You know, I, I wanted to know if they had been to Masafayada, if they had been to Susha, if they had been to Tubat, had, had they seen? Had they really seen? You know, what is actually happening here? I, I, I don't know how anybody who benefits, who stands on the shoulders of our ancestors' struggle against Jim Crow, against segregation, could see what is happening right now, could see the bombs being dropped, 9,000 people dead, an ungodly number of them children in service of Jim Crow and segregation, which we have exploited, and be okay with that. I, I, I don't I don't understand it. So, yes, I have my fears. I do. I do. I'm, you know, I'm afraid right now sitting here talking to you. But I have to measure my fear against the misery that I saw. I have to measure my fear against the promises that I made to the Palestinians who welcomed me into their homes and gave me the facts to the Israeli Jews who welcomed me into their homes and gave me the facts to the Holocaust survivors who welcomed me into their homes and gave me the facts. I have to measure it against my own ancestors, against Frederick Douglass, against Ida B. Wells, who certainly faced off against things that were much, much more perilous than 
going someplace, coming back and telling people what you saw. This is the minimum. It's scary, but, uh, but it's also the minimum. And the fact that people are trying to suppress speech is not an excuse for you not to speak. It's always been this way for black writers and journalists. This is our tradition. You know, and so I, I feel as I, as I do feel the fear, I also feel that I am in good company because I'm in the company of my ancestors. Well, Tanahasi, I want to ask you about the way in which this conflict is, in fact, being represented uh, in the media. And as, as you pointed out, politicians, Congress members, uh, but also the White House. On Monday, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre compared pro-Palestinian protesters to the white supremacists who took part in the deadly yeah, Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia in 2017. She made the comment in response to a question from Fox News' Peter Ducey. Does Biden think the anti-Israel protesters in this country are extremists? What I can say is what we've been very clear about this. When it comes to anti-Semitism, there is no place. We have to make sure that we speak against it very loud uh, and be uh, and be very clear about that. Remember, what the president decided to, when the president decided to run for president is what he saw in Charlottesville in 2017, when we he saw uh, neo Nazis marching down the streets of Charlottesville uh, with vile anti-Semitic uh, just hatred. And he was very clear then, and he's very clear now. Uh, he's taken actions against this over the past two years, and he's continued to be clear. There is no place, no place for this type of vile and despite, despite this, this kind of rhetoric. So Tanahasi Coates, that's White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. Your response? You know, I, I, don't, I don't want to personalize this. I, I'm sure... Um, She's a very, you know, nice person and, you know, a very, very kind person. But um, you see, all of us stand on the shoulders of Martin Luther King. All of us stand on the shoulders of, of, of the nonviolent struggle. And on King's birthday, the White House, like it's done for years, stands up and, you know, it uh, praises Dr. King and it talks about Dr. King as our modern day prophet. Um, I don't know how these people do that and sleep at night. I, I don't know how you compare people who are trying to stop a war, who are very much in the tradition of nonviolence, who are trying to stop bombs being dropped literally on refugee camps to neo-Nazi protesters. Uh, it's, 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 it's disgraceful, to use her own words. It's disgraceful. It's reprehensible. Um, it is offensive, as far as I am concerned, to the shoulders on on who on on those whom we stand right now. Um, I just I don't I don't I don't I don't understand it. I, I would extend this further. I mean, I I think um, hearing President Biden himself, and here I will personalize it, downplay uh, 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 the number of, of Palestinian deaths to say that he doesn't believe the Palestinians. I, I just when his own State Department was citing those figures only months ago, you know, I, there is a, at, at some point, you know, there's that, that, that saying, when people show you who they are, you have to believe them. And so I've spent a lot of time trying to do the polit political calculus on this. And I think at a certain point, we have to just stop and say they, they believe it. They believe it. They believe bombs should be dropped on children. They just think it's okay. They think it's okay. Or at the very least, they think it's the price of doing business. Um, 
That's not an ethic I can align myself from. Because if I, as I've said several times in this interview, I come from a history where people once made the exact same calculus about us and took stances that we would now say are immoral. But see, the test isn't what you did in the past. The test is what you do in the moment right now. I'm a writer. I, I would be much more comfortable. I was working on you know, a book about this. Um, I would be much more comfortable sitting at home writing about this before I'm here talking to you guys right now. It is not my nature to talk about things that I have not written about yet. Um, but one has to balance one's responsibility against the suffering, against the death, against the body count. And, and to see what is coming out of this White House um, right now is just is just it's morally reprehensible. I, I, again, I, I don't know how, how people sleep at night. You've been talking about Dr. King, um, his daughter, uh, Dr. Bernice King, who heads the King Center lawyer, um, uh, Martin Luther King's youngest daughter, responded to a post by the comedian Amy Schumer, who shared a video of Dr. Mm. King condemning anti-Semitism and defending Israel's right to exist. Bernice King mm. wrote, quote, certainly my father was against anti-Semitism. He also believed militarism, along with racism and poverty, to be among the interconnected triple evils. I am certain he would call for Israel's bombing of Palestinians to cease, Dr. Bernice King said. And so if you could comment on this and also talk about um, how the issue of Palestinians, the occupied territories, the occupation um, has been raised in the black community, the movement for black lives for years now. And the pressure you come under when you do. Yeah, and, and, and look, I, I think it's very, very important to talk about the force of anti-Semitism in history, indeed in American history, uh, in, in fact. Um, it's, it's a very, very, very real thing. And I don't think you can understand the events of the moment without understanding you know, that. And, and, and I think over the past uh, few, few weeks, especially, much has been made about the, the uh, historic alliance between uh, black folks and, and, and Jewish activists and Jewish folks and, and that sort of thing. And, and, and it's, it's a very, very real thing. It's a very, very important thing. But I think like any alliance, it is, it is, it is at its best when it grounds itself in moral principle. Um, not in a kind of gang truce, not in a kind of I had your back, so you'll have mine. Um, a moral alliance that is transactional is actually, in fact, not a moral alliance. And we have always been at our best. When you know, when I think about the, um, uh, the Jewish civil rights workers who went south and put their bodies on the line for the civil rights movement, um, I like to think, and I think it's true, that that was not a transactional arrangement. That was not, you know, an attempt to say, look, I'm, I'm doing this because I think you'll have my back in the future. They did it because it was right. They did it based on principle. And so, you know, I think some of the frustration um, that certain, certain people feel about the lack of anti, uh, about the lack of uh, uh, African-American support uh, for this war comes from this notion that, that, that we should have people's back as they drop bombs to try to defend a segregationist apartheid regime. We shouldn't do that. And we haven't done that. that that's the history that, that you allude to. I mean, going back to Angela Davis, to SNCC, to Black Lives Matter. I, I, I stand here, or I sit here very, very humbly as, as, a, as a latecomer to the cause, but you know, someone who has come to the cause um, um, nonetheless. 
we have to stand on principle, man. We have to stand on principle. And if I'm a latecomer to the Palestinian cause, I'm also a latecomer to the cause of nonviolence. But I'm here now, you know, and, and, and knowing what that has meant to our history, you know, to our, there is no way in the world that we can leverage the memory of Dr. Martin Luther King. There's no way in the world we can leverage uh, the weight, the ancestry of our movement in defense of a war, in defense of indiscriminate bombings. Or refugee get we just we can't do that we can't do that we would be a disgrace to to, to our ancestors Tanahasi last night just uh, uh, to end you said um, we've just spoken about the fact that it was so difficult for uh, the Palestine uh, festival of literature to find a venue for last night's event uh, your own books here in the US uh, have faced bookmans uh, and yours aren't the only ones of course but you've said that when people resort to these measures, book banning, limiting public discussions, these are weapons of a weak and a decaying order. Could you explain what you mean by that and why there is, uh, despite the horror of the moment, some scope for optimism? Well, I, I think if you, uh, and, and, and a lot of this is, you know, actually from my time talking to Rashid Khalidi and uh, Professor Rashid Khalidi up at, up at Columbia, and one of the points he made um, you know, I came back from uh, Palestine and, I, you know, I just was glass eyed. I didn't understand. I, I've, you know, I had this deep seated feeling that that that, in fact, I had been lied to. And I, I began consulting people and talking to people. And so I got to spend some time with, with uh, Professor Khalidi. And, and one of the things he said to me was never has the movement. This is somebody who's been you know, fighting this war for his entire life. He said, never has the movement been as powerful as it is right now. And I had, you know, I had to take that in. I also have to take in the fact that, like when I think about what I did not know and when I did not know, it wasn't that I had competing sources and I didn't know what to turn. The way I think Americans have traditionally, up until very recently, we have you know, ten saw seconds, Tallahassee. Sure, I'm sorry about that. Um, I will just say that uh, I'm very optimistic about uh, the fight, and I think we're going to win. I'll leave it there. Tanahasi Coates, acclaimed writer, National Book Award winner, spoke at an event last night organized by Palestine Festival of Literature here in New York. We will link to the live stream. Before we end this update from Gaza, the Palestinian Waha News Agency is reporting at least 27 people were killed today in an Israeli bombing of an UNRWA school in the Jabalia refugee camp, the largest refugee camp in Gaza. I'm Amy Goodman with Nermeen Sheikh. We have already won, everybody. This is enough is enough. So now we're going to listen to Friday Democracy Now! in full. Here we go. Blaze the violet fire. From New York, this is Democracy Now! This is an official state document uh, essentially recommending the government to carry out an ethnic cleansing of Gaza. And it's, it has been written in a time when uh, these ideas are, are making their way into the Israeli mainstream public discourse and to Israeli media. As the death toll from Israel's bombardment of Gaza tops 9,200, one Israeli government ministry is recommending the forcible transfer of the entire population of Gaza to Egypt. We'll speak to an Israeli journalist who helped expose the story. 
Then, as Secretary of State Tony Blinken visits Israel, we'll speak to Josh Paul. He recently resigned from his high-level State Department job, where he oversaw arms transfers to Israel and other foreign nations. I resigned from the State Department two weeks ago because I believe that U.S. arms should never be used to commit gross violations of human rights or contribute to civilian casualties, and we know that's what's happening in Gaza today. I also resigned because I believe that for 20 years we've pursued a dead-end policy which has not led to security for Palestinians or for Israelis. But when I tried to raise these issues within the State Department, there was absolutely no appetite for any debate. Plus, we go to Boston, where 23 people were arrested Thursday as hundreds of faith leaders and clergy rallied to demand a ceasefire in Gaza. All that and more coming up. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Israel's army says it's encircled Gaza City as international condemnation continues to grow over its 28-day assault on the besieged Palestinian territory, where more than 9,200 people have been killed, including at least 3,800 children. Among the dead and injured are Palestinians sheltering at a United Nations-run school in the Jabalia refugee camp, where at least 27 were killed in an Israeli strike Thursday. Nowhere is safe. They even hit the school. They said flee to the schools. They then targeted the schools. Where are the Arab leaders? A group of seven senior United Nations human rights experts warned Thursday, quote, time is running out to prevent genocide and humanitarian catastrophe, unquote. The Palestine News Agency reports journalist Mohammed Abu Hattab was killed in an Israeli strike on his home in the southern Gaza Strip on Thursday, along with 11 members of his family, including his wife, son and brother. Abu Hattab was a reporter for Palestine TV. His last on-air report was about deadly Israeli airstrikes in and around his neighborhood in Khan Yunus. His colleague, journalist Salman al-Bashir, burst into tears during a live broadcast upon learning of Abu Hattab's killing. As he spoke, al-Bashir tore off his helmet and protective vest labeled press and threw them to the ground. These are just slogans that we are wearing. They don't protect any journalists at all. These shields don't protect us. We are victims, directly on live television. We are losing souls, one by one, with complete impunity. Salman al-Bashir tore off his press gear, and the anchor who was talking to him also wept. According to the Committee to Protect Journalists, at least 36 reporters and media workers have been killed since the conflict erupted on October 7th. 
Israeli forces killed at least nine more Palestinians during overnight raids in the occupied West Bank. One of the victims, Eham al-Shafei, was just 14 years old. Separately, another 14-year-old named Hamdan Omar Hamdan died Thursday of injuries sustained earlier this week from Israeli army gunfire. Elsewhere, settlers have attacked Palestinian homes and stores in the town of Deir Sharaf, west of Nablus. The UN's Humanitarian Affairs Office warns vigilante-style settler attacks have killed 29 people across the West Bank this year. 145 West Bank Palestinians have been killed in Israeli attacks since October 7th. In Lebanon, Hezbollah fighters launched simultaneous attacks on 19 Israeli positions along Israel's border on Thursday, prompting Israel to respond with warplanes, helicopter gunships, artillery, and tank fire. At least two people in the Israeli town of Kiryat Shmona were wounded in the exchange of fire, the largest skirmish since Hamas's October 7th attack. The cross-border violence came as Hezbollah's leader Hassan Nasrallah is set to make his first public remarks today on Israel's assault on Gaza. In the United States, the House of Representatives has approved a $14.3 billion military aid package for Israel, largely along party lines. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says Democrats won't take up the bill after House Republicans excluded funding for Ukraine's military and proposed slashing IRS funding to pay for the weapons to Israel. President Biden has asked Congress for a $106 billion emergency spending package that includes funding for Israel, Taiwan, in Ukraine. The request includes an unprecedented provision to entirely waive congressional notification of the future sale of military equipment and weapons to Israel, including stocks of ballistic missiles and artillery shells. This is Vice President Kamala Harris speaking from London Thursday after talks with British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. We are not going to create any conditions on the support that we are giving Israel to defend itself. The White House continues to rule out calls for a ceasefire in Gaza, a day after Biden said Israel's military should allow for humanitarian pauses. On Thursday, Illinois Democratic Senator Dick Durbin became the first member of the Senate to call for a ceasefire during an interview on CNN. An effort should be made to engage in conversation between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Let's face it, this has gone on for decades. Uh, whatever the rationale from the beginning, it has now reached an intolerable level. Bahrain has called its ambassador, recalled its ambassador from Israel in response to the ongoing bombardment of Gaza. This follows rare protests in the Persian Gulf nation demanding the reversal of a diplomatic normalization agreement between Bahrain and Israel. Latin American governments have also intensified their condemnation of Israel's attacks, with Mexico, Peru, and Argentina all speaking out this week. On Thursday, the Chilean president, Gabriel Boric, sharply criticized U.S. support for Israel's assault after talks at the White House with President Biden. We do not accept that we are made to choose between one side or the other. We choose humanity, and both these attacks by Hamas have no justification and deserve global condemnation. And what the government of Benjamin Netanyahu is doing today also deserves our clearest condemnation. Our clearest condemnation. The right of a state to defend itself has limits, and those limits are respecting the lives of innocent civilians, especially children, in international humanitarian law. In Philadelphia. 
At least 350 people were arrested Thursday after hundreds of faith leaders and activists blocked a train terminal demanding state and local officials support a ceasefire in Gaza. Imams, rabbis, reverends, pastors, clerics, and Buddhist monks led the massive crowd in traditional songs and prayers, while hundreds more rallied outside 30th Street Station in Philadelphia. The peaceful action was organized by Philadelphia's chapter of Jewish Voice for Peace. In North Carolina, dozens of Palestinian solidarity protesters blocked a highway in Durham Thursday during rush hour as they chanted, ceasefire now. Here in New York, dozens of students walked out of a class at Columbia University taught by Hillary Clinton protesting the school's role in targeting Palestinian solidarity activists, they said. Wednesday's action came after photographs of students who signed a declaration critical of Israel's assault on Gaza were featured on doxing trucks parked near campus last week with the words Columbia's leading anti-Semites. The group Accuracy and Media deployed similar doxing trucks at Harvard, at CUNY and UPenn in Philadelphia. Later in the broadcast, we'll hear voices from a Palestinian rights protest in Boston where at least 23 people were arrested. In upstate New York, Cornell University canceled classes today after a student was charged this week for posting violent anti-Semitic comments to a campus website and threatening to shoot up the school's kosher dining hall located at the Center for Jewish Living. This comes amidst a surge in anti-Semitic and anti-Muslim threats on college campuses across the United States since October 7th. In Arizona, more than 100 Jewish and Palestinian solidarity activists held a die-in protest blocking the main entrance to Raytheon's office in Tucson for over an hour Wednesday. Protesters condemned what they say is Raytheon's complicity in the genocide of Palestinians for supplying missiles, bombs, and weapon systems to Israel. Share prices of arms manufacturers, including Raytheon, have risen sharply since Israel began its assault on the Gaza Strip. Raytheon CEO Greg Hayes acknowledged in a recent earnings call his company stands to profit from increased arms sales to Israel and Ukraine. As we think about this next tranche, uh, the president's hundred plus billion dollar request, which is more than $40 billion for Ukraine, uh, what you're going to see is the same things that we have been seeing, but in much higher quantities. I think really across the entire Raytheon portfolio, you're going to see a benefit uh, of this restocking on top of what we think is going to be an increase in the DOD top line. Russian President Vladimir Putin has officially withdrawn Russia's ratification of the Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty. The U.S. has signed but never ratified the global agreement banning testing of nuclear weapons. Russia says it will not resume nuclear testing unless the U.S. does. The United Nations General Assembly has voted to condemn the United States embargo on Cuba for the 31st consecutive year. On Thursday, 187 countries voted in favor of lifting the decades-old sanctions. Only the U.S. and Israel voted against the motion. This is Cuba's foreign minister, Bruno Rodriguez. The embargo violates the right of life, the right to health, and the right to education, 
and the well-being of all Cuban men and women. Our families feel the effects of this blockade through the fact that shops are lacking goods and there are long queues, as well as excessively high prices and low salaries. Mexico's government has announced a $3.4 billion project to rebuild Acapulco a week after Hurricane Otis slammed into the Pacific Coast City as a Category 5 storm, leaving a trail of devastation. 46 people have been confirmed dead, another 58 remain missing, though some local officials believe the true toll is higher. Meanwhile, extreme weather has killed at least 12 people across France, Spain, Belgium, Germany, the Netherlands, and Italy. Storm Kieran brought hurricane force winds to southern England and France's northwestern coast before dumping record levels of rainfall on large swaths of Europe. This year remains on track to become Europe's hottest year since at least 1940. Here in New York, the FBI raided the Brooklyn home of Brianna Suggs, Mayor Eric Adams' chief fundraiser. Thursday's early morning raid came as part of a federal corruption investigation into whether Mayor Adams' 2021 campaign received illegal donations from Turkey. The raid prompted Adams to cancel a trip to Washington, D.C., U-turning after he was already en route. He sent an aide to attend meetings with White House officials and the mayors of Chicago and Denver over what he called the asylum seeker crisis. A Manhattan jury has found the disgraced founder of the fallen cryptocurrency exchange FTX guilty of defrauding customers and lenders. Sam Bankman-Fried faces up to 110 years in prison at a hearing scheduled for March when he'll be sentenced for convictions ranging from wire fraud to money laundering. He faces another criminal trial in 2024 on charges he committed bank fraud and bribed Chinese officials. In Tennessee, a former Memphis police officer pleaded guilty Thursday to two felony charges in federal court for the beating death of Tyree Nichols, a 29-year-old black father. Video footage shows five police officers from the elite Scorpion unit brutally beating, tasing, and pepper spraying Nichols, who died three days later as part of a deal for his guilty plea. Desmond Mills Jr. will cooperate with state prosecutors in their separate cases against the officers, which include second-degree murder charges. And domestic abuse survivor Tracy McCarter is suing the city of New York and five New York City police officers for wrongful prosecution over her husband's death. Tracy McCarter, a nurse and grandmother, was holding a knife during a violent encounter with her abusive husband who fell and impaled himself. McCarter called 911 and unsuccessfully administered first aid. New York police officers falsely claimed she confessed to intentional homicide and she was sent to Rikers Jail to await trial on secondary murder charges. The charges were eventually dismissed after a public pressure campaign and intervention from Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg. This is Trady McCarter speaking at a press conference Thursday. I just want for them to have accountability for all of the losses that followed. I wasn't able to work for three years. I missed the births of my grandchildren. I couldn't go to funerals of my grandmother, my aunt. You know, I lost a lot. And only 10 days before the trial was set to start, the charges were dismissed, even though I I know the prosecutor knows that they didn't have a case. To see our interview with Tracy McCarter, go to democracynow.org. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, the War and Peace Report. Coming up is the death toll from Israel's bombardment of Gaza tops 9,200. We'll look at how one Israeli government agency is proposing the forcible transfer of the entire population of Gaza to Egypt. Stay with us.
Prayers and Promises. Hi, Azatri. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Israel is facing growing international condemnation for its 28-day assault on Gaza. More than 9,200 Palestinians have been killed in Gaza over the past four weeks, including at least 3,800 children. This according to the health ministry in Gaza. On Thursday, a group of UN experts released a statement to express their, quote, deepening horror over Israel's repeated airstrikes on the Jabalia refugee camp, the largest in Gaza, that have killed at least 195 people in recent days. The group of experts said, quote, the Israeli airstrike on a residential complex in the Jabalia a refugee camp is a brazen violation of international law and a war crime. Attacking a camp sheltering civilians, including women and children, is a complete breach of the rules of proportionality and distinction between combatants and civilians, they said. Residents in Jabalia say entire sections of the refugee camp have been leveled. The area has been completely destroyed. There are no Hamas fighters here. These are all civilians. They are all innocent people. No resistance here. There was a bakery here and houses. One of them had 100 people inside and another had 50 people. This is destruction. This is a war against God and his prophet. It's a war of extermination. As Israeli troops encircle Gaza City and intensify its aerial bombardment, there are growing questions over Israel's long-term plan for Gaza. One Israeli government office, the Israeli Ministry of Intelligence, has proposed the permanent transfer of Gaza's 2.3 million residents to Egypt's Sinai Peninsula. In a document dated October 14th, the small governmental body stated the forced displacement of Gaza civilians to Egypt would, quote, yield positive and long-term strategic results. It led Lays out a three-stage process, the establishment of tent cities in Sinai and the opening of a humanitarian corridor, followed by construction of permanent cities in northern Sinai and the creation of a, quote, sterile zone of several kilometers within Egypt. And says, quote, the return of the population to activities residences near the border with Israel should not be allowed, unquote. Many Palestinians in northern Gaza have refused to follow Israeli orders to vacate their homes out of fear they'll never be allowed back. It's unclear how Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu or his cabinet have responded to the proposals. But the Biden administration has publicly opposed plans for the mass transfer of Palestinians. Secretary of State Tony Blinken's in Israel today, where he's reportedly seeking a humanitarian pause to the bombing. Blinken is also planning to travel to Jordan, where he's expected to assure Jordan that the U.S. opposes transferring Palestinians to Egypt or Jordan. For more, we're joined by Yuval Abraham, an Israeli journalist based in Jerusalem who reports for Plus 972 magazine and Local Call. He helped expose this proposal in his piece headlined, Expel All Palestinians from Gaza, Recommends Israeli Government Ministry. Yuval has also reported on the growing number of attacks on Palestinians by Israeli soldiers and settlers in the occupied West Bank. He joined us Wednesday during a rainstorm in Jerusalem. I asked him to talk about how he knows the document from the Israeli Ministry of Intelligence is real. I know it's true because I have verified it in front of the intelligence ministry. And as you said, Amy, it's a document that essentially asks the question, uh, what will happen to Gazan's civilian population after the war? And, got, and, and this intelligence ministry writes um, a policy pieces and shares them with the defense establishment inside Israel. And uh, I mean, as you have mentioned, uh, the 10-page document goes quite into detail 
um, and um, explicitly recommends this uh, process of forced transfer. Uh, it, it also recommends to frame it um, in front of the international community as a humanitarian necessity, as something that is better than the alternatives that it uh, posits in, in the document, which is that the, the population will stay and, and die in their tens of thousands. Now, I think it's important to, 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 to stress that uh, this ministry is a small ministry. Despite its name, it does not actually deal with classified information and it is not actually responsible for an Israeli intelligence organization. Um, and it is not considered a very consequential or influential ministry in Israel. However, this is an official state document uh, essentially recommending the government to carry out an ethnic cleansing of Gaza. And it's, it has been written in a time when uh, these ideas are, are making their way into the Israeli mainstream public discourse and to Israeli media. I think, Amy, you know, uh, a lot of us, a lot of people in Israel uh, are feeling shock. Um, they feel a need that things will not return to the way they were before October 7th. They talk about security, especially after um, all of the atrocities that were committed by Hamas on October 7th and the people who were illegally uh, kidnapped and taken to Gaza and, and, and the murders. And I think we have uh, politicians who have no uh, political vision for the future, and they are unfortunately using this uh, uh, sense of, 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 of wanting security to commit horrible and terrible war crimes in Gaza and killing already more than 3,000 uh, children. And I think this document and this bombing campaign are both a reflection of a worldview that only has force um, in its disposal to try and deal with a political problem. And the dangerous thing about this worldview is that it always fails. And when it fails, uh, there are calls to use more force and more force. And if you push this worldview to the extreme, um, you will eventually end up with ideas like the ideas that we are reading about in this document. And that's why, and this is the final thing that, for now, I would say, that's why, you know, as, as, as an Israeli, it's very, very important for me to stress that I don't think we can have security if Palestinians do not have freedom. And if we do not have a long-term political vision for the future that will end the situation where I have rights and freedom of movement and a way to vote, and Palestinians who are living next to me don't, we are not going to uh, have security. And I am very worried that, you know, uh, I, I feel that this war on Gaza will not bring us security, and it will end even if we topple down Hamas by killing so many Palestinian civilians, we will create the next Hamas, and I don't think it's, I think this killing is unjustifiable. And I worry that the next war will come, and they will say, you know, it didn't work, now we have to use even more force, and even more force. And even though this document right now might not seem feasible, um, I think this is the dangerous route that we are currently in. And this is why it's so important to contextualize things and talk about a long-term political solution to the problem. And, and our leaders are not doing that right now. Yuval, can you talk about where this document comes from, who it went to, and how real it is? Yes, so this document came from the intelligence ministry, um, which has a very small budget. Um, and it seems like they have initiated it. They usually send out their documents to the Israeli different government offices and to intelligence organizations and the Israeli security establishments. 
So can you talk about um, what it means to have exposed it and how they're responding? Yeah, you know, for me, this is very, very worrying and troubling because the government has not really acknowledged the paper at all. And none of us really know what the end game of the government is in Gaza. Um, I think in Israeli media, it has been downplayed as something that um, is going to harm Israel's legitimacy for the war abroad. A lot of people are not taking it very seriously. This ministry is not considered, as I said, a very influential ministry. But we did not hear any uh, clear and cut rejection of the documents uh, by the government. Um, and yeah. Can you explain what the uh, right-wing Israeli Misgav Institute is, uh, who has a similar proposal? Sure, yeah, it's a very interesting and, and strange story. So this right-wing think tank called Misgav, which is headed by uh, Mayor Ben Shabbat, who was, he's a very close associate with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, and he's a very senior uh, former Israeli security figure. And they published a little over two weeks ago, um, a report that has the same identical conclusion that Israel needs to transfer, forcibly transfer all the civilians in Gaza, in, in Gaza to, to Egypt. And uh, this report was, was authored and written by Amir Whiteman, who is also a Likud member and an associate of Gila Gamliel, which is the Likud member who heads the Ministry of Intelligence who wrote a report with the same conclusions. Now, the, these connections between uh, the Likud and the right-wing think tank uh, uh, are also apparent because a month ago, the Ministry of Intelligence has hired this uh, Misgav Institute um, to carry out research as a freelancer for the government ministry. Um, now, officially, the Ministry of Intelligence, you know, I've spoken to sources there. They are claiming, you know, this document, we completely stand behind the recommendation and we authored it independently. If you ask me, it's very clear that there is a mix here between the government ministry and this extreme right wing think tank. And it's all it all seems to be coming back to different sorts of um, officials in the ruling party, the Likud. And what about the role of Egypt? Earlier this month, Egypt's president, Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, said he would reject the forced displacement of millions of Palestinians into Sinai, which is Egypt. This is what he said. Egypt rejects any attempt to resolve the Palestinian issue by military means or through the forced displacement of Palestinians from their land, which would come at the expense of the countries of the region. The idea of displacement of Palestinians from the Gaza Strip to Egypt simply means that a similar situation will occur by the displacement of Palestinians from the West Bank to Jordan. This means that the idea of a Palestinian state that we are discussing and that the international community is discussing will no longer be possible. So that's what President Sisi said, the Egyptian president. And this just came in from uh, Ynet. Um, uh, Middle East Eye uh, reported on the Israeli news outlet saying Israel's proposing writing off a significant chunk of Egypt's international debts through the World Bank to entice the cash-strapped Abdel Fattah el-Sisi government to open its doors for displaced Palestinians. Again, that's according to the Israel 
WYNET news site. Yuval. Wow. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's clear that uh, the, the fact that Egypt is refusing to, to open its borders is, is one of several reasons why this forced transfer plan will not manifest. Um, you know, I think that it is a feasible scenario if, if they do open their borders and um, tens or hundreds of thousands of Palestinians leave Gaza, that at least some of them will not be allowed to return. This has happened in 1967 and 1948. Um, and the document, which, by the way, you can read in full on the Plus 972 magazine website or the local call website, um, actually deals with this. It says, it reads in the documents that uh, Egypt will have an obligation under humanitarian law to allow for um, um, for Palestinian civilians to to flee and enter and, and find refuge in its territory. And it calls on enlisting the United States and other Western countries to pressure Egypt um, to do this. Now, um, you know, everything we're, we're in, in a situation of, of, of extreme fog and, and it's and it's unclear uh, how this will develop. Um, but the fears uh, are, are completely justifiable. Yuval, I want to thank you for bearing through this rainfall uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, but I wanted to go to yeah, another piece. I wanted to go to another piece that you've written um, uh, saying uh, the headline, Settlers Take Advantage of Gaza War to Launch West Bank Pogroms. While the U.S. government, before Hamas's surprise October 7th attack that killed up to 1,400 Israelis, um, the U.S. government, uh, Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor, something like 10 days before, said the Middle East is quiet now and we can move on to other issues. Um, but in fact, in the West Bank, uh, it was the deadliest year in years, right? You had more than a Palestinian a day being killed either by the Israeli military or Jewish settlers. And now, since October 7th, Israeli settler attacks have resulted in at least 115 Palestinian deaths, more than 2,000 injured, nearly 1,000 others forced to flee their homes. Can you talk about uh, what it's like to be in the West Bank, this increased Jewish settler violence? And also, you have a friend who was the target of the violence? Yes, yes, Amy, of course. I mean, I've just received a text message. 123 Palestinians have been uh, already killed in the West Bank since the beginning of, of the war, and seven of them have been actually murdered by Israeli settlers. And I, I spend a lot of my time in the West Bank, specifically in a region called Masafariyata, which is a region in the southern edge of the West Bank, a community of villages that for decades have faced really intense pressure and violence from the Israeli army that constantly destroys their homes and refuses to give them permits, and from settlers that have been attacking them. And I think what is happening now is that uh, settlers and, and soldiers are using this chaos of the war um, to, to, to continue and, and to end sort of this forced transfer. And, it's, and it's, it was extremely horrifying to be there over the past few nights. We've had incidents where settlers entered one village, it's called Susia, they grabbed the boy and his father, and they told them, you have 24 hours to leave the village or we're going to murder everybody in the village. Um, we, we had an incident where one settler went down to the village and actually shot a, a Palestinian who was standing next to the mosque. There are incidents of torture, of abuse, of humiliation, and it's happening every night. Like I stayed up 
uh, last night with a family. They're not sleeping. And everybody is just like we see the settlers entering the village. Um, and I think that, you know, uh, according to human rights organization, Israeli human rights organization, B'Tselem, 13 Palestinian communities have, have already been displaced uh, in the West Bank due to this settler violence. Um, and, and uh, yeah, and, 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 and it will just increase and increase uh, as long as the war continues, the bombing on Gaza continues, and this uh, situation continues. You know, the national security minister, Itamar Ben-Gavir, this is a man who, what, in the last 15 years was convicted in Israeli court of being, uh, supporting a terrorist organization and inciting violence against Palestinians. Um, he announced the purchasing of 10,000 rifles for Israelis in West Bank settlements. Can you talk about what that means? Has that been carried out? Um, and what supporting settler violence um, it, what that means, particularly now. Yeah, of course. So what is going on right now is a complete inability to even differentiate between who is a soldier and who is a settler. Is it a settler that is in uh, reserves? Is it a settler that received a weapon from Bengvir and put on you know, his army uniform? Um, are, are these soldiers? Um, there is a complete confusion, and we are seeing a lot of quote-unquote, independent settler initiatives where they are putting on soldier uniforms and, 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 and going into villages and harassing Palestinians. This is happening all over Area C. This is the way the military refers to it, which is essentially all of the open territories in the West Bank, where there are 180 um, small Palestinian villages and all the Israeli settlements. And Israel's policy for many years has been to, to try to forcibly evict uh, these 180 communities. And I think now, with many more settlers receiving weapons with all of these incidents of murder and threats, this eviction is taking place. And I think definitely the arming of so many people is part of that process, um, which is you know, understood in Israeli society also as a response to October the 7th, the need of people to be armed, to be able to defend themselves. At least in the West Bank, these weapons are used to evict Palestinians from their homes. Hmm. And finally, how have Israeli activists and international charities um, been involved in supporting Palestinians in the West Bank? So I'm not sure about international charities. I mean, I know that a lot of them have um, supplied these communities that are at risk of forced transfer, um, 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 uh, little homes that they can uh, live in, because Israel always comes and destroys their homes. They can't get building permits. And it, and it was extremely ironic. Like I, I was in a village called Zenuta in this area of Masafariata two days ago, and the residents were dismantling all of these homes using their own hands. And, and they, were, they were essentially leaving the village. I spoke to a 70-year-old person uh, who told me that you know, we drank tea and he said, this is probably the last time I will drink tea in, in this place that I grew up in. So these international organizations, you know, all, all, of, all of this support is now just being dismantled by the residents who are afraid for their lives. I think what we as Israeli activists are trying to do there, and, and this is not also not always working, but the fact that we are Israeli, the fact that we speak Hebrew um, gives us a certain privilege. And when these attacks happen, we try to de-escalate the situation. We try to, to make sure that the settlers that are attacking the village see us, that we are first, that we can, that we can film them, that there are journalists here. We try to talk in Hebrew. Um, but things, you know, 
death is now everywhere and things are deteriorating really, really quickly. And I feel like all, all of the things that we were previously doing are now not working. And, and I, you know, again, I have to ask the, the world to, to, to wake up, to call for a ceasefire. Um, if we continue to destroy Gaza like this, it will destroy us as well. We will not have security in the future. It will destroy the West Bank and the possibility of ever living here in inequality and in peace between Israelis and Palestinians. So, so it's time to change course and talk about the political issues at hand. Yuval Abraham, an Israeli journalist based in Jerusalem, who reports for Plus 972 magazine and local call, will link to his article, Expel All Palestinians from Gaza, Recommends Israeli Government Ministry. When we come back, we speak to Josh Paul. He recently resigned from the State Department in protest of the Biden administration's policies on Israel and Palestine. Back yeah, in 30 seconds. Good for you. Oh, they've killed all the little ones While their faces still smile With their guns and their fury They erase their young lives No longer to laugh No longer to be a child Oh, they've killed all the little ones while their faces still smile. Now they're burying the little ones and they're making the graves deep so the world cannot see that tonight we may sleep. The Little Ones, a new song released this week by Yusuf Islam, also known as Cat Stevens. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Amidst growing international condemnation of Israel's month-long assault on Gaza, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is back in Israel today to meet with Israeli officials, where he continued to emphasize Israel's right to defend itself following the October 7th Hamas attack. Meanwhile, the White House continues to dismiss calls for a full ceasefire, saying instead any pauses in fighting should be temporary and localized. This comes as the independent news outlet in these times reports the White House has requested an unprecedented loophole in arms spending to allow it to, quote, be able to conduct arms deals with Israel in complete secrecy without oversight from Congress or the public, unquote. Even as experts say, Israel's been using U.S. supplied weapons to commit war crimes, unquote. Meanwhile, a new HuffPost report cites five current and one recently deported State Department official who say their, quote, expertise and standard decision-making processes are being treated as largely irrelevant to President Joe Biden's strategy on the war, which prioritizes support for Israel, unquote. One official described, quote, particular concern about the town hall for the department's branch on human rights. Managers who described the branch as state's conscience indicated they aren't sure if they're getting through to more senior officials. For more, we're joined by Josh Paul, the State Department official who resigned last month in protest of Biden's push to increase arms sales to Israel amidst its siege on Gaza, calling it short-sighted, destructive, and contradictory. In his resignation letter that went viral, Josh Paul wrote, quote, we cannot be both against occupation and for it. We cannot be both for freedom and against it. 
And we cannot be for a better world while contributing to one that is materially worse. I believe to the core of my soul that the response Israel is taking and with it the American support both for that response and for the status quo of the occupation will only lead to more and deeper suffering for both the Israeli and the Palestinian people and is not in the long-term interest. And it is not in the long-term American interest, unquote. Josh Paul is former director of Congressional and Public Affairs for the Bureau of Political Military Affairs in the State Department, which oversees arms transfers to Israel and other foreign nations. Welcome to Democracy Now!, Josh Paul. Thank you very much for having me. I'm glad to join you. Can you elaborate on why you decided to resign? You're a veteran State Department official. Why you said no? Yes, thank you. I I decided to resign for three reasons. Uh, The first and most pressing of which is the very, I believe, uncontroversial fact that U.S. provided arms should not be used to massacre civilians, should not be used to result in in massive civilian casualties. Uh, And that is what we are seeing in Gaza uh, and what we were seeing, you know, very soon uh, after the October 7th horrific attack by Hamas. Uh, I do not believe arms should be, U.S. provided arms should be used to kill civilians. It is that simple. Uh, Secondly, I also believe uh, that, you know, as your previous guest identified, uh, there is no military solution here. And we are providing arms to Israel on a path uh, that has not led to peace, uh, has not led to security, neither for Palestinians nor for Israelis. It is a a moribund process uh, and a dead-end policy. Uh, And yet, when I tried to raise both of these concerns with State Department leadership, There was no appetite for discussion, uh, no opportunity to, uh, you know, look at any of the potential arms sales and and raise concerns about them, simply a directive to move forward as quickly as possible. And so I felt I had to resign. So talk more about that. Talk more about what kind of dialogue goes on at the State Department. And if you, for example, have met with Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State, not to mention President Biden, to voice your concerns. And what about other uh, veteran State Department officials? Uh, So typically there is a very robust uh, policy process in the State Department for arms transfers. Uh, And there are a lot of those, right? So we're talking about about 20,000 arms sale cases a year uh, that the State Department processes, which could be anything from uh, bullets to radios to fighter jets. Uh, And for each of those, there is a lengthy process sometimes uh, that that looks at, you know, what are the pros and cons of the sale? What are its human rights implications? Uh, That has not happened in this context for Israel. Uh, And as I say, when I raised those concerns uh, against the existing laws, against the existing policies, uh, there was no appetite for that discussion. I have not personally uh, spoken to Secretary Blinken about this, uh, nor certainly to President Biden. Uh, But I know that uh, in the time since I left, there has been uh, increasing discussion within the State Department, uh, but has not led to any change of policies. In fact, uh, as you heard earlier on your show, uh, Vice President Harris was just saying yesterday uh, that we will not place any conditions whatsoever uh, on our arms to Israel. And that is unlike any uh, arms transfer decision I've ever been a part of. There's always discussion about should we condition this to address human rights issues. So who is leading this, Josh Paul? Who is preventing this? Who is suppressing all of this discussion within the State Department? I I honestly think in some ways it is coming from the very top of the U.S. government uh, and from the Biden White House. Uh, You know, there are many in the State Department uh, and across government who have reached out to me in recent weeks since I left uh, to express their support, but also to say how difficult and how horrific they are finding uh, U.S. policy and yet are being told when they try to raise these concerns, look, you can get emotional support. If you're finding this difficult, we'll find you something else to work on. But don't question the policy because it's coming from the top. 
The HuffPost has this new piece that reports a task force on preventing atrocities did not meet until two weeks into the war. And officials say department leaders are telling them their expertise won't affect policy. Explain what goes on. Yeah. So whenever there is a crisis, as there is right now uh, in Israel and Gaza, the department sets up a task force or multiple task forces that are uniquely uh, shaped to address that crisis. So, for example, in the context of uh, an earthquake, they might bring in experts on you know, refugee issues, on weather issues, on disease issues, uh, you know, that, that sort of uh, you know, broad swath of people. Uh, in the context of Gaza, they have set up a, a task force to look at this problem. But according to the report you cite, it does not include the Bureau of Populi- Population, Refugees and Migration, uh, who are responsible for you know, U.S. support to refugee issues. So it is either a stunning oversight or it is uh, an intentional disregard uh, for the humanity of Palestinian civilians in Gaza. Um, at a meeting on October 26th, a State Department source told you they recalled a top official advising um, staff to shift their focus away from Israel-Palestine and seek to make a difference in other parts of the world? Uh, so I don't believe that that was a conversation that I had with someone, but that is in the same report in the Huffington Post that you cite. Yes. So they're directing them uh, not even to make comments on this, just stop talking about Israel-Palestine. Yes, that's right. Um, and I think, wow. look, I mean, that reflects a, a tension or a, a censorship, right, that we are seeing not only in the U.S. government. I think what's interesting here uh, is that there is this censorship that has existed and expanded uh, you know, to colleges and universities where you talked about the doxing. I've also heard from many people across the American private sector, uh, both from the Arab American community, but also more broadly from, from all sorts of diverse communities who said we are afraid to speak up on this because we are in fear of our jobs. It's the same climate in government, and that is just not American. Nope. So I wanted to ask you about this uh, In These Times report that the White House has requested an unprecedented loophole in arms spending to allow it to be able to conduct arms deals with Israel in complete secrecy without oversight from Congress or the public. Yes, so we provide Israel with $3.3 billion a year in foreign military financing, which is the State Department and U.S. government's primary functional, primary me- uh, mechanism uh, for funding the sale of arms to other countries. Uh, of note, uh, you know, we typically provide, uh, setting aside Ukraine, uh, about $6 billion a year in foreign military financing around the world. So Israel already gets more than half of that. Uh, the language in the supplemental request that the Biden administration set up, sent up uh, would remove the requirement to notify Congress of any arms sales conducted under that funding. Uh, typically, there is a process where for any major defense sale, uh, Congress is notified of it. And there's actually a process prior to the formal notification where Congress gets to ask questions, uh, poke, prod, delay. Uh, and then if it wishes to oppose a sale, can raise a joint resolution of disapproval on the floor. Uh, what this proposal would do is essentially destroy all of that, remove all of that, remove that congressional oversight, remove that congressional ability to object. Uh, it is unprecedented. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, and I cannot imagine that the uh, uh, committees of jurisdiction are, are viewing it very favorably because it is just, you know, such a damaging approach that also sets horrible precedent for other countries with whom, you know, future administrations may decide they don't want Congress to be involved. Since you're in charge of arms sales, what does this $14 billion that 
Um, well, it looks like both houses want to send it to Israel. It's just that yeah. the House one is controversial because they want to take that $14 billion from the IRS. And also they want to sever uh, the funding for Israel from the funding for Ukraine. And uh, Chuck Schumer, the Senate majority leader, says he won't consider this bill. But it sounds like there is enough support in both houses for that extra, not the 3.8 or 3.3 billion yearly aid to Israel, but an extra $14 billion. You're the expert on arms sales. What would it be used for? Yeah, and, and let me just say, I, I think there is, you know, almost or near unanimous congressional support for this uh, further military assistance to Israel. And I think What's fascinating about that is also there's a massive disconnect between where Congress is on these issues and where I think if you look at the polling, the American public are. Uh, and I think the current crisis is really crystallizing that difference. I don't think it will make any difference in terms of the passage of this package, uh, but it may do down the line. Uh, with regards to this package specifically, it includes $3.5 in foreign military financing. Uh, Israel can draw on that to purchase essentially what it wants. Uh, and what's unusual about this as well, uh, in addition to the removal of the notification, is that Israel would be entitled under the proposal center congress to spend all of this money within its own defense industry uh, israel is of course a top 10 exporter of arms around the world uh, often competing with the united states and the idea that we will be providing funding to subsidize that competition uh, is is really unimaginable uh, but on top of that the package also provides uh, further funding uh, from the defense department side for air and missile defense for Israel, for Iron Dome. And, and let me be clear, my concern here is on lethal assistance to Israel. Uh, when it comes to protecting civilians from rocket attacks, I believe that they should be. I don't believe anyone should have to live in fear of their homes, in their homes, uh, from rockets raining down on them. Although I believe that's the case, whether they are in Israel under Iron Dome or, or whether they are in Gaza, for example. Uh, and of course, we never asked that question. Uh, the uh, funding finally would also include research and development funding uh, for equipment such as uh, there is a, a experimental laser project uh, called Iron Beam, which the US and Israel are working together on uh, air and missile defense system. If this is an emergency request, why are we looking at research and development for projects that have not even materialized yet? That doesn't sound like an emergency to me. So as with the arms transfers I saw when I was departing from the department, uh, I think there is just a rush to push everything they can while they feel there is a, a window of political opportunity here where there will be no significant opposition. What kind of response uh, was there to your resignation? Uh, so... Uh, to my resignation, I would say there has been an overwhelming response uh, that I've heard from folks, from colleagues inside not only the State Department, uh, but across the U.S. government, actually, uh, on the Hill, uh, in the Defense Department, in the Uniformed Military Services, including in combatant commands around the world. Uh, people have reached out to me to say, uh, you know, we, we fully agree with you. Uh, you know, obviously, everyone has their own personal circumstances. Uh, you know, I think if we had uh, universal healthcare, it would make it a bit easier for people to stand up on principle. Uh, I myself am, you know, trying to figure out what I do next on healthcare. But, but the point is that so many people have reached out to say, we hear you, we agree with you. And I think, you know, one of the things I found is that a lot of people can be in individual offices and say, there is no, I can't speak up because I will, I will lose my job. I will put my career in jeopardy and there's no one else here I can talk to. And yet I'm hearing from someone else just a few deaths over who's saying the same thing. Uh, so I think there really is a, a communications crisis, a transparency crisis uh, within the U.S. government and a policy crisis, because when you can't talk about foreign policy, when you can't debate, when you can't criticize, you don't end up with good policy.
Josh Paul, why was this the last straw for you? I mean, for example, um, if you were in charge of weapons sales, presumably you were dealing with Saudi Arabia, uh, notoriously authoritarian. Uh, U.S. state, uh, U.S. agencies concluded, even in just one case, the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, that uh, the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman was responsible for this. Um, you oversaw arms sales to them, presumably. Why Israel? So let me just be clear, I was one of multiple people involved in the arms sales process. Uh, arms sales themselves are a presidential authority that is delegated to the Secretary of State and then through the Secretary of State to the Undersecretary, uh, who is who is actually responsible for approving them uh, for the most part. Uh, but you're right. And, and as I said in my resignation letter, in my time in the department, I dealt with many, you know, morally challenging, controversial arms sales. Uh, I think what made the difference for me here is that for all of those previous instances, even under the Trump administration, mind you, uh, there was always room for discussion and debate and the ability to mitigate some of the worst possible outcomes uh, to delay sales uh, until you know crises had passed so that they weren't contributing immediately into a humanitarian crisis uh, to work with Congress and, and be confident that once the policy debate had ended in State Department, there would be a congressional piece to it, too. And, and Congress generally has stood up in the past repeatedly on matters of human rights and arms sales. What was different here was that there was none of that. There was no debate. There was no space for debate. Uh, and there was also no congressional appetite or willingness to have debate. There's going to be a major march in Washington tomorrow. 350 people are in, in, arrested in Philly. Uh, we're going to play some clips of a major protest in Boston that happened last night. Um, how much does grassroots protests like this, the thousands of people are protesting around the country, the shutdown of Grand Central by Jewish groups uh, just last Friday night, have on the State Department, on the White House? So I don't think it has much impact on the State Department. Uh, and that's okay, because I think policy processes are, are meant to happen within a, a policy framework. For, again, the problem is they're not happening. I think it does have an impact on the White House. I think we've seen a significant change on, in tone in the last few weeks, uh, not because there is a sudden deep care, frankly, uh, for Palestinian civilian casualties on their own merits, but because there is a, a sense that there is a political crisis here developing for the Biden administration, uh, that many people are saying, you know, we're just going to sit out the next election. Uh, we have lost faith uh, in this White House, in this administration. So I think that does uh, have an impact. And, and let me also say, I have found uh, it incredibly moving as well to watch these protests. You know, I was up on the Hill uh, for meetings, uh, you know, this week and last week and came across in, in one office a sit-in that was happening where there was a group of Jewish students uh, singing uh, peace songs and holding up signs that said, Save Gaza. I found that incredibly moving. And I think it also tells Congress and it tells this administration that they are not in line with much of American public opinion. Uh, I think it's a much needed message. Josh Paul, a veteran State Department official who worked on arms deals and resigned last month in protest of a push to increase arms sales to Israel amidst the attack on Gaza. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org. We end today's show with voices from the streets of Boston, where hundreds of faith leaders and clergy rally Thursday to demand Senators Elizabeth Warren and Ed Markey support a ceasefire. Our elected officials must act. They need to hear from us. We are going to meet with them today. We're going to send a delegation of faith leaders to bring our letters, our prayers, we are grounded in faith, in many faiths, in many spiritual traditions. We have so many people in our bones. 
We have the moral courage that our elected officials do not have. And we will keep acting until they have it. And now we'll hear from Sheer Lovett Graf, a Jewish community and spiritual leader. My grief, our grief, is used by the Israeli military, funded by the United States, to enact violence on thousands of Palestinians every day. How can we navigate this grief when it is used to fuel rhetoric that is Islamophobic, racist, and anti-Semitic? We're going to begin walking. We'll follow the banner that says ceasefire. And we'll be praying with our feet. Hussein, we're watching a genocide unfold. I think that the fact our tax dollars are going to pay for this is horrifying. Um, I want change. I want us to see humanity and care about all lives. My name is Elsa. I'm the daughter of Holocaust refugees, and I'm here because it's outrageous to me the Israeli government is committing genocide in the name of people like my parents. And I work with Jewish Voice for Peace. Uh, We uh, demand a ceasefire now before even more innocent lives get lost. I'm Jill. I'm active in Jewish Voice for Peace. I'm here to demand Senator Warren declare a ceasefire and to stand up for justice. She usually does stand up for justice in different kinds of ways. For some reason, she just can't seem to stand up for Palestinian lives. They are bombing everything, churches, hospitals, roads. There's no place to go. So we are demanding Warren to do the right thing. My name is Rami. Uh, I am here today marching uh, because I think we need to have a ceasefire. Um, I think it's really important that the world see that Jewish community believes in a ceasefire uh, and thinks that what Israel is doing right now is wrong and that the Jewish community is not a monolith and there isn't a one uniform perspective standing with Israel on this one. My name is Leora. I am a rabbi in Jamaica Plain. Anyone who's here today might be risking things to be here, relationships or employment. And I'm so proud to be here across many kinds of difference and united in our call for a ceasefire now. We mourn for all of the dead and we fight for all of the living. Refugee camps and hospitals are not safe. My name is Mohammed Musalam. I am a khatib uh, here in uh, Massachusetts in Malden. If ceasefire is not now, when will it be? Are they waiting for the entire population of Gaza to be completely wiped out? Are they waiting for 10 more thousand, 20 more thousand people de- dying before they call for ceasefire? 
enough is enough. I do not come here alone. I train my people in my bones. So we're here at the office of Senator Warren, where a group of faith leaders across the spectrum of the world's religions demanding a ceasefire in Gaza right now. Children are dying. That blood is on our hands if we stand silent, and we can be silent no longer. We're so glad you're here, and we're so grateful for those inside. Inside, a number of people are um, occupying the lobby of the federal building. Um, they will be there until the senators call for a ceasefire or until they are escorted out. I'm now very glad to introduce Boston City Councilor Tanya Fernandez Anderson, who introduced the ceasefire resolution to Boston City Council. Peace and love to everyone. Assalamu alaikum, shalom, and peace in every language. Paste contigo. I am here to simply repeat and echo your heartfelt sentiments and your fight and your tears and all of your sacrifice and your bravery for being here and for every day that you've sacrificed, for every night that you've looked through social media, the tears that you've shed, the prayers that you've put out into the universe. Ceasefire now! Ceasefire now! Ceasefire now! Ceasefire now! Reverend Redeem what's happening right now is a grave injustice. We have faith leaders here who come to pray and demand that Senator Warren calls for a ceasefire and people are being arrested. This isn't right. This isn't right at all. We are calling on Senator Warren to call for a ceasefire. She has a moral duty as a Christian woman to call for a ceasefire. She got faith leaders here at her office being arrested. That's a shame. Ceasefire now. Ceasefire now. We have been grieving, grieving the killing of our people. The grieving, grieving our fragmentation, the separation of our people into different enclaves, into different areas, West Bank, Gaza, East Jerusalem. My name is Hilary Rantisi. So when you ask a Palestinian where they're from, they will tell you where they're from, from before 1948. My family is from both from Lida and from Gaza. I was born in Jerusalem and I grew up in Ramallah. So as a Palestinian, I have a West Bank ID that only allows me to travel to Ramallah, to be in the West Bank. I can't go to, to Jerusalem where I was born. I can't go to Gaza where my grandmother's from. And I can't go to Lidda where my father was born and his father was born. But for me, I am from all these places, and you can't separate Gaza from me, you can't separate Jerusalem from me, you can't separate Lida from me. So I'm here as a Palestinian recognizing the pain and all the history that all of my family and my ancestors have borne for all these years. Voices from protest in Boston last night calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. At least 23 people were arrested. 
This comes as 13 Democratic senators call for short-term secession of hostilities in Gaza. And that does it for our show. Special thanks to Hani Massoud, Democracy Now! Produced with Renee Feltz, Mike Burke, Dina Guster, Messiah Rhodes, Nermeen Sheikh, Maria Tarasena, Tammy Warrenoff. I'm Amy Goodman. Thanks so much for joining us. What's going on here? What's going on? Peace is the way of love. So here we go. I think we have um, Greg Braden here. For the last 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. What is the title of this one, Ram? Israeli-Palestinian. Gotta say it loud. Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Oh, that's it? Yeah. Greg Braden, is this a 21, the 20 minute a catalyst one? Catalyst for Earth Shifting Changes with Greg Braden and John L. Peterson. Is that the 20 minute one? Yeah. Oh. Okay, let's do it. Friends and welcome to What's Up. Greg Braden joins me as he always does. Hi, Greg. How are you doing? John, I am I personally am doing really well, and it's really good to be with you. We have it's it's been a, a lapse of a few weeks since we've yeah. we've yeah. been able to get together because I have been traveling extensively uh, in and out of the country. So I'm I'm happy to be with you today and I'm excited to have this conversation. Uh, yeah, I'm glad we caught you what for one day off before you go leave again, it looks like. So, uh, you know, what's up? What you been thinking about? Well, I think probably no surprise. What's up for me is what's up for everybody right now. What's happening uh, in the Middle East in general, what's happening in Israel specifically. Uh, I was in my hotel room one hour before my keynote presentation to, uh, to a large conference when the news feed started sharing what was happening. And I, I honestly, I had to... Uh, to reconcile quickly my uh, my emotions so mm-hmm. that I could be at my best on that stage most people in the audience had not heard yeah what was what was happening i think john one of the uh, i mean there's so many ways it's just layers and layers mm-hmm. of perspective and what's become very clear to me of course there's a, a political conversation that we can have uh and I think there's something even deeper that goes beyond that from a a spiritual perspective, mm. for lack of a, of a better word. Yep. But every one of us, every human on the face of the earth is now faced with uh, a challenge and faced with a question. We can't change what happened, obviously. But we have to ask ourselves, what do we allow ourselves to become in the presence of what we've seen? Oh. And that uh, there is no single answer. There are many solutions. And I think everyone is struggling to come to terms yeah. with that. And a lot of people don't even know that, uh, that they're struggling with this issue. But John, the, the level of planning for the attack specifically 
uh, is is just extraordinary how well uh, it was planned. And I, you know, I was having conversations with my producers in the Middle East. We take groups into the Holy Lands every December. Obviously, we will not be doing that this year. And other producers throughout the world uh, asking them to be cautious on making commitments. on their behalf to uh, to acknowledge what it is that we have seen happening. But it can't really be a surprise, the, the fact that there's so much tension. I mean, the event itself, I think, surprised everyone. But in, in August of this year, I was telling my producers, I, I was saying, you know, 250,000 rockets have just been, uh, have just crossed the border into Lebanon uh, and they're aimed in the, the Golan Heights area. Yeah. And everybody said, don't worry about it. The Israeli military knows about it. They'll take care of it. You know, um, but even further back than that, John, you know, with the United States, when you, when the U.S. weaponized the dollar that we had talked the world into trusting us with, with our, our good faith and their their energy and their uh, you know, all the things that go along with that, with being the world reserve currency. When we weaponize that, we turn Russia uh, away from us and Russia had to go somewhere. Yeah. And so they they began to deepen their relationship with Iran. And that relationship now has come up this last week where Putin is, is publicly saying he will have to get involved if uh, if there is an, uh, a full-scale invasion into Gaza, he'll have to support Iran. And the you know the other piece of this, China is sitting back looking at all this. They're saying, "Knock yourselves out, guys, because yeah. we're going to go. We're going to go take Taiwan." And it's all it's all coming down in this window of time that we we yeah. have suspected. Uh, I could say we've known about it in some sense, not the specifics of what would happen. But we we do know that we are in a cycle. Uh, conflict is cyclic. Global conflict is cyclic. And it runs on 17.7 and 56 year cycles, Kondrati of cycles. And we've talked about that in, in other um, other conversations. And we are in one of those cycles. We're on the uptick right now. 2020 should have been the peak of this cycle. But because of covid I think everything was delayed and it moved it out a couple of years. So it doesn't mean we must have conflict, John. What it, what it means is that we are vulnerable and susceptible. And it also opens the door, if we, if we know that, to deep levels of, uh, of conversation for us to become an invitation, for us to become better listeners uh, and maybe to extend that olive branch of peace when we're having these conversations. And it's not just between nations. This is happening in our own families. It's happening in our, our communities, our society. So so we're, this is the value of, of knowing how these cycles unfold, number one. And number two, the, the way that these events are unfolding, uh, again, they are, are pushing every one of us to to come to terms with this. Now, I want to talk about this a little bit more detail. The people that I am speaking with uh, are, I feel, are very un, ill-informed. 
because they're looking at this as an event that happened and now we're going to clean up oh, the yeah. aftermath rather than a catalyst that has now set into motion a series of events that will forever change the face of this earth. They're going to change the, the borders of nations. They're going to change global yeah. economies. Uh, and they're, they're not thinking along those lines. You know, one of the things that uh, uh, Hamas is has become, they've, they've learned to uh, become a very good marketing uh, uh, team in terms of the way they present themselves. And when I saw through, uh, you know, we're speaking to people, I've got friends, Palestinian friends, Israeli friends, and we're not even hearing. The U.S. media through the censorship is not even allowing uh, the American audience to know the the full extent of what, what happened there. Uh, a lot of it is being censored. Of course, it's on. If you go to the dark web, you can you can see, you know, what actually happened. But this wasn't just about taking the lives of some one of their enemies. The way that the lives were taken uh, and the extreme uh, pain, suffering, torture, and things like that is meant to leave uh, a lasting impression going to the deepest primal instincts so that this would not go away. They didn't want this to go away quickly. And uh, and I, that cannot be by accident. And yeah. So now when we look at the, the geopolitical chessboard, what we're seeing is Russia aligning with Iran, which we drove them to do through our sanctions. And uh, Iran and the, the Middle East certainly aligning with the Palestinians and America and Israel and, and NATO and Europe uh, on the other side. And this, that's a really bad formula. It's a really, really bad formula. Uh, when you look at biblical prophecy from a historical perspective, it's interesting because this is actually falling in line with what you see in the biblical prophecy that uh, a large nation to the north of Israel will descend and Israel will will be attacked from all sides. Uh, and initially it will look bad. Uh, ultimately, Israel prevails. And this is going to be, I mean, it's you couldn't. You couldn't make this up. It's falling precisely into yeah. line with so many of the, the prophecies as well. And, you know, prophecies from a, uh, a scientific perspective of remote viewing uh, is looking at timelines. And if nothing changes the timelines, these are the events that unfold. So, I, you know, I'm an optimist and I'm also a realist. I'm a man of peace. And I also believe there are windows of time when that peace can be put into place. And I, I think we've crossed that window, and now we're in it. And the only way out of it is we've got to go through it. And the question is, what do we become as individuals? Uh, Israel can't let this stand, obviously. Uh, in my opinion, um, the civilians have to be taken care of. And, and I, I think the, the global community is, is really putting the pressure for that to happen. But... When we have the conversations about this, I think yeah. we all have to ask ourselves, John, what what does this make us? What do we become in the presence of this horror? Well, yeah. yeah, do, do we and this is the question. Do we respond from the, the primal fear 
uh, and the hate that it is designed to trigger within us, or do we respond from the love of what we know is possible? And, and if responding from love doesn't mean that we don't fight, but it it, it is a, a nuance in terms of of what we become. Are we driven into the hate, and do we allow ourselves to become the very things that we're trying to eradicate from this world? And it's it's not an easy question to answer. But all, all this goes all this goes to the fundamental battle that's happening. There's an ancient battle between yeah. good and evil, light and dark. That's been playing out. We all we all know that. It it is expressed through uh, through policies and through governments and through leaders, and you know we all know that. There has been a concerted effort beginning right around 2011 to uh, to steal our humanness. It is a, literally a battle for our humanness. And it, it began by by breaking the social bonds that divide us. Yeah. The Occupy movement was the rich against the poor. That was not spontaneous. That that was by design. And then blacks against whites and Christians against Muslims. Right. Uh, and men, uh, men against women. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well so now, now what's happening is th- those are the, the big social bonds and they're being slowly refined. Actually, it's happening quickly. Now we are blurring the lines between male and female and between yeah. adult and child and between. So all of this is an effort to dehumanize us. And when you see what happened to the people that were attacked, that could never happen unless there was a sense of dehumanization on the yeah. part of, of the attackers. They, they didn't see them as, as humans, so, and that is programming. Now, one of the interesting things, I said I was in, in London watching the, the news feeds coming out of the Middle East, certainly, and out of uh, Asia and throughout Europe, and it was much more honest reporting. In the United States, what is happening is very little now is being said about what happened to the Israelis in the attack. And the, the media is now all focusing on the plight of what's happening to people in Gaza, which is, is important and needs to be talked about, but it's a skewed reporting and a skewed perspective. And it is effectively, if you saw the protest over the weekend, it's effectively turning sentiment against Israel. Uh, and I was amazed, John. I saw interviews with, with uh, college students in some of our best universities, Stanford University, Columbia. Uh, I mean, you know, these are they're pretty, pretty uh, Harvard. <laughs> that was a, that was a problem that you when well, interviewed those guys. <laughs> here's, here's what here's what happened. Those students denied that the atrocities occurred. They said <laughs> that is propaganda. Did not happen because we haven't seen it. Right. We haven't seen it. Because our media is censored in a way that it's not in Europe. The Europeans saw the raw footage. It wasn't allowed in the United States. So so all of this is being driven, the sentiment uh, that will ultimately determine the U.S. involvement. We've got boots on the ground. We've got Green Berets, uh, uh, Navy SEALs. They've said we've got SEALs on the ground right now for hostage rescue. And... um, how much further that goes oh, at some point will have to be determined by Congress and the American people. And the, the, the media is driving the narrative that ensures uh, that well, we're going to move. They're all part ways. of the machine. I mean, yep. this is just a big coordinated thing at uh, some level that's very impressive. 
been very, like I say, very sophisticated. Well, John, all, all of that's happening. I know we're coming up to the end of our, our time here, and I, I think it's important, uh, the other perspective, because every one of us is challenged as individuals, and and we have to choose, are we going to become angry, bitter, hateful beings, or is is there a way uh, to to move through this, and, and I'm not saying not fight, because we all have warriors. I, I'm a man of peace, and I definitely have, have an inner warrior. But where do we come from? Do we make our choices from the anger and the bitterness and the hate, right. or from the love of what we know is possible and what needs to be done to achieve yeah. what that, that, that is possible? When I was in, uh, I used to take groups into Tibet, uh, before the borders were closed to tourism. And one of the first conversations I had with a, a Tibetan, uh, who was a, um, wasn't a monk. Well, he was a monk, but he was the abbot, the abbot of one of the monasteries. And it was a very deep conversation through translators. My Tibetan is terrible. So it's, it happened yeah. through the translator. <laughs> yeah, me too. And, and what he said was this. He said, when, when we suffer in the world, Whatever that is, and it's different for all of us, he said, the depth of our suffering will compel us to discover our capacity there you go. for the, the love to heal that suffering. So the deeper the hurt, the deeper we have to reach inside of ourselves to find a quality of love that transcends that hurt. Right. And I, I think if we can remember that as we move forward and do what needs to be done to create the world that we know is possible, that's very different than going to the streets, angrily protesting, lighting buildings on oh, fire, yeah, yeah. hurting no, no, other no, people, no, no, no. And, and wanting to just wipe everything out. You know, well, it's, it's a very, very you, different way of coming from it. You can't let them get your emotions. I mean, it's one thing, you don't want, this is not an argument for ignorance. Uh, you need to know what's going on and you kind of, so that you don't get surprised and that you can you know, have intelligent responses, but you really can't let them catch you and get your heart because that's what they're trying to do. And if they do that, then you don't think right. You know, then you get, you know, you get well, this afraid. is the de this is the dehumanization. This is where the movement, the, the battle for our humanness, the battle for our divinity, our our ability to create and imagine and yeah. uh, and the again, the, the word divinity simply means when you look at the definition, it is the ability to transcend perceived or accepted human limits. It has nothing right. to do with religion. Our divinity is our ability to to become more than the limits we've imposed yeah. on ourselves. That's our humanness. And this is this is what the goal is. We are we are the prize. The the battle is for our humanness. And what we saw happen in Israel last week is uh, is an effort. And for some people, it actually steals their humanness. And and the way we win is by becoming the best version of ourselves by celebrating our humanness in all the ways that, that we do to become the best versions of ourselves. And I think it's. It's important to remember that even as we have to fight. I think it's important to remember that. Well, we got to rise above this whole thing, you know, and you got to you got to become something, as you suggest, somebody better. You become you use the experience as all experiences and particularly kind of 
of traumatic experiences to say, what is this about and what have I got to do and who do I have to become to be able to effectively deal with all of this? And uh, I'll just say again, and you really don't want to want to sing their song. I mean, because they're trying real hard to get you to uh, to to go their direction. And that is antithetical to the freedom. That's control. And the other direction that we need to go is toward freedom and our ability to make our own decisions. And by the way, become the people, become the individuals that then in ways that we don't even begin to understand influences the larger environment and the, and the future for that matter. Well, John, I, I appreciate you as my friend. You're one of the few people I can have this conversation with uh, and, yeah. and have, it, have it be a meaningful conversation without wow. collapsing in, into something, you know, just so primal. It, it, it doesn't serve either one. Yeah. So well, thank, thank you. you for that. Thank you for Arlington Institute. And thank you for what's yeah. up. Well, we really appreciate you. And we appreciate this chance to chat a little bit because I think that in the face of all of this kind of stuff, there just has to really be considered and deep and intelligent kind of conversation because uh, like I said, it's easy to just get caught up and, be driven down the road so thanks so much and uh for those of you who are watching if you found this useful and helpful then please subscribe and uh share it with your friends and like it and all those kinds of things that the algorithms like and um come back and we'll be here again in another couple of weeks uh uh here at uh, what's up so thanks greg see you man. thanks so much take good care you well bye-bye Okay, uh, I know where this talking stick is going now. And all the angels, fairies, feathers, rainbows, crystals, Excalibur, Quetzalcoatl is here, Lord uh, Kutumi uh, uh, in Egypt. That was uh, Hermes Trismegistic. And in Atlantis, it was Tahuti. Many names. Another name for Katumi is Sanaka Kumara. Just to getting to know all these different awarenesses of that beingness of great wisdom. And I pass this talking stick to you, Rainbird. You know you have some good words for us. Here it comes. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I think that talking sick. And who who was that interviewer that we just listened to? Who was the interviewer? Yeah. Rama? I'm No, the interviewer. He was being interviewed. Oh. What was um, his name? Uh, Mr. Peterson. Peterson. His last name is Mr. Peterson. I don't remember his first name. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And You're yeah, thank you for bringing that. That was that was good words to listen to. And um, yeah, thanks for the whole evening. Wow, wow, where we are. So <laughs> expect the unexpected. <laughs> I believe that we're here. Mother keeps yes. saying, it and all the reports are saying it too. Yeah, we're here. Sure. I believe in the human race. How about you? Yeah, and I pass the talking stick to you, Rama. Here it comes. Okay. What we got here, Rama? 
Like a blind bird that falls for the other's tasty bit You'll only see the danger when it's too late I'm your wings, your power to soar effortlessly Come to me if you want to be free yourself to be there lies a shining diamond your true identity I'm your primal innocence your spring of purity your essence is souls in me
Something's going to change now. Now is the time. That was the word on our last update, right, now. Yes. All right. Inshallah. Inshallah. Satnam. Satnam ki. Thirteen thank yous. Honey in the heart. No evil. And let's live long and prosper together. Nasara now. <laughs> Until we meet again this afternoon. I learned that from Rainbird. It's true. At least in the mountain time zone, it's 1235. 25 to 1. That means it's the next day. Namaste, everyone. We love you. Aloha. <laughs>